Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Join us here at the Lech Valencia Celebrity Baths, Cafe, Exhibit Space and Otter Stuffing Plant here in the heart of London's bustling North Bits for the 10th anniversary bonanza of one of the most mediocre and under-listened to podcasts, The After Movie Diner. Lech couldn't be with us tonight as being a former electrician, he disagrees strongly with the way they wired in the lighting dimmers here at the baths and has shunned the space ever since. That doesn't mean the space isn't filled with the sort of glitterati and celebrity hangers-on one would expect to find at one of Ainsley Harriet's orgies. Far from it. From the red carpet here, for example, I can see that Nettie Shent from BBC Two's It Ain't Half Hot Mum reboot is here, wearing, as has become usual at these events, nothing but a shuttlecock and a flag emblazoned with the logos of his corporate sponsors. Chatting with the press further up the dais, there's Dame Ursula Titz, actor, writer, feminist icon, antagonizer of goats, pugilist and third time winner of the most hair prize from her native Sweden, where she now resides with her husband Adolf, who likes to spend her money buying statues of small nude boys urinating. And stepping out of their limousine now, which is really just two welded together Citroen 2 CVs covered in black homrol paint and with a crude carving of what appears to be a chimpanzee's buttock stuck on with blue tack in place of a hood ornament, it's the mildly well-known pianist German Kapoppelwind, who will be performing a version of his 1983 hit single, She Was Made for Kitchen Love, but with all the references of sticking aubergines in people replaced with platitudes to this barely known movie podcast that really doesn't deserve even the mildest of fanfares. And lastly, as the audience is starting to take their seats, having narrowly avoided being forced to purchase some overpriced lemonade and a purse full of peanut shells and spittle that sponsor Pirelli tires are throwing angrily at people in the foyer, host Damon Crunks has taken to the stage and urges everyone to turn up their cell phones and if at any point they feel even mildly aroused to take full advantage of the orchestra pit which has been lined with mattresses and old copies of what halibut magazines the lights are now dimmed the loud annoying rustling has started someone is explaining to their grandmothers that no this isn't the bathroom and could you possibly wait till the interval and we are all preparing our earlobes with the provided swarfiga for the theme music 
listening to the sweet sounds of the After Movie Diner. Support us at P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash After Movie Diner. Or I'll punch you in the teats. Rate and review us on iTunes, Earthling. And now, here's your host, John Cross. Yes, that's right. I am John Cross. And yes, this is the 10th anniversary special episode of the After Movie Diner. Now, anyone who follows me on social knows that the 10th anniversary was actually a couple of months ago. But since then, life has happened, which happens. And that's why there wasn't an episode uh, right up front. However, uh, we're still technically in the 10th year of the After Movie Diner. So we are going to be celebrating uh, the 10th anniversary, the uh, 340 plus episodes that we've done of this show between now and Christmas Uh, with hopefully a variety of uh, special guest co-hosts and other such things. But right out of the gate, this episode is extraordinarily special because it does a couple of things that this podcast has done for me, which I just consider magical. Uh, One is it celebrates a great indie film from filmmakers that I met exclusively through this podcast but have subsequently become great friends. Uh, And secondly, it gets to shine a light on that indie film so that hopefully more people discover it, watch it, and enjoy not only this particular film, Heard She Got Married by filmmakers Charlie Roxburgh and Matt Farley, but uh, also the other great films that are in their catalogue. If you are not aware of who Charlie Roxburgh and Matt Farley are, then you need to go back and listen to multiple episodes of this podcast and maybe even some episodes of the Motown Media Infomercial podcast that Matt hosts on occasions that kind of delve into his work. There's also an article on AfterMovieDiner.com, which I will link in the description of this episode that explains exactly who Matt and Charlie are. All that Matt Farley himself explain exactly uh, who he is and what he does by watching the movie Local Legends, which is currently available on Amazon Prime to rent or buy. It's also available to buy on Blu-ray from Gold Ninja Videos. So please do go that extra step and buy the Blu-ray if you're at all interested after listening to this podcast because Gold Ninja Video is a wonderful independent Blu-ray distributor from Canada. And Matt Farley and Charlie Roxburgh are phenomenal and fantastic independent movie makers from New England. And none of this will be going to any big corporations, so probably better to uh, buy the Blu-ray than watch it on Amazon Prime. But if you want to watch it on Amazon Prime, it's to rent now Local Legends. Uh, it's a fantastic film, and it explain everything that Matt Farley and Charlie Roxburgh are all about. Anyway, with all that said... This episode is going to be fantastic. We have compiled the cast and crew from the latest movie from Charlie and Farley, Heard She Got Married, which is currently available to buy over on Vimeo. The link will be in the description of this podcast. Um, So you can go watch the film and then come back here to listen to this episode. But we have got people on here who have never been interviewed on the After Movie Diner before, as well as some old friends like Jay Mayo, Matt Farley, and Charlie Roxburgh. So sit back and relax and listen to this conversation all about the movie Heard She Got Married by filmmakers Charlie and Farley and all the interviews that we have in store for you on this very special episode. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. 
In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for listening for 10 years. Thanks so much to all the people who support us on Patreon. You can go over and do that yourself at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash after movie diner don't forget to follow us on socials uh, if you don't want to become a sponsor on patreon you can also support us by buying us a coffee or donating directly on our website both buttons are available on aftermoviediner.com for you to support why not it's the 10th anniversary the least you could do is show your appreciation for the years that we've been doing this so anyway all right hello we and welcome to the 10th anniversary episode of the after movie diner that's right 10 years of this bollocks who would have thunk it and uh, the longest running co-host that we've ever had in fact he was a guest host but now co-host uh who has been doing it for eight years because your first episode where you were i mean you've been doing it a bit longer but the first episode you did where we were in a diner and it was the second year anniversary episode was pacific rim oh yeah that was a good one too because it was bloody awful and bloody there was lots awful. to kick it for I mean, there was lots to give it a good kicking for, and I felt like it deserved a kicking. It wasn't like we we weren't punching down. No, it really did deserve you know a mean? kicking. But what was what what's good about it was that for our second year anniversary, we decided uh, let's finally take the show to the diner, which we hadn't done before. It was the first time in a diner. It was the second anniversary episode, and it was the first time where you were kind of becoming or going to become the regular co-host even though you yep. had done some guest spots before then. Where variety went to die. Yes. And what was interesting was uh, that going through all the episodes, because I wanted to count up exactly how many episodes uh, you, Jim Wallace, was on uh, as co-host. And you've been on, this will be your 153rd episode. Wow, that is a um, lot of... That is a lot of bollocks. It is a lot of bollocks, a lot of waffly bollocks. Um, yeah. But yeah, 153 episodes. But 53 is my lucky number. So uh, even it? though 153 is not divisible by 53. So no, it's like 100 times better. That doesn't work mathematically, but it we can just work. move on. But it's good. It's a good omen, I think. And secondly, yeah. uh, as I say, eight years you've been doing it. But but what's interesting is um, we didn't consistently consistently do the you and me in a diner thing for like a whole other year if you look at the episodes we did the pacific rim one and then there's still a bunch of other guest hosts and you come back occasionally like in that third year yeah you just you're just not that sure you know you don't want to throw your lot in with you know what i mean with just one idiot when there are other idiots you know available uh, either that or our um our schedules at the time did not allow the the weekend no, week I, out. That's thing, not my but... mem- my memory is I was quite keen on doing it more regularly. You were less sure. 
You were oh, like, okay. I don't think people want to, uh, like, no, actually, to be fair, it wasn't about other people, it was about you. I think you wanted to keep talking to other people and discussing movies with other people and, like, having it be, like, the, well, there other, was also... the idea of a diner was less like the diner movie thing and more the talking to lots of different people about movies thing. Well, there was also, if you look at the episodes from the third year, there was also a ton that I had that was tied into uh, interviews and stuff that was coming out that that we we hadn't yet. Like at that time, we were still just doing movies that we'd seen in a theater and gone to the diner. We weren't doing the odd episode as we have done where we would see a movie either in your apartment or my apartment or whatever, and then go to a diner. So there was a lot where if a movie was uh, coming out and it was tied to an interview, or if it was an old movie, or if it was a series of movies, or if it was a guest host like Philippe, for example, in Sweden, who I'd kind of said, hey, let's do an episode, and it happened to fall then. Like there was, if you go through the episodes from the third year, there was a lot of different reasons why we kind of darted back and forth. And then by about the second half of the third year, going into the fourth year, you became the regular co-host. Either way, that's six years, seven years of you doing it more or less consistently with the odd guest I, I am kind can I also say I am sad that that has come to an end because I, I do feel like um you know the 10th anniversary is lovely and everything but um and I'm sure that at some point in the future we will go to a cinema and then talk about it in the diner afterwards I am sad that our every week we meet up on a on a Thursday walk basically the length from well from midtown to the village usually right along manhattan um, um yeah i mean either that or uptown we did some lincoln uh, center stuff as well but it was but, yeah. mostly that walking because most of the good ones were either um those couple of art house ones in the village and then there was a good it was a good amc one that showed some weird because we were always after the weird ones you know what i mean at the same yeah. time times square i guess like there was that period where it was like the, the Christian Slater movie and the Larry Fishburne movie. And there was like a period of a couple of months where the Cusack, the Bagman, like where there were genuine B movies being shown in Times but Square. We always tried, we, you know, especially while Movie Pass was happening, we tried not to do the AMC multiplexes and find movies that were playing in other places. And then we got AMC stubs, and that kind of just meant we were sort of doing either Lincoln Center or 42nd Street. Yeah, we were Street. a bit we were a bit more um uh, but then the, the choices weren't great then either. That brief golden period there yeah. were loads of B movies which we did used to see at the AMC in Times Square. That's mostly where they were, right at the top. Usually there was a tramp asleep in the front, right? There Usually. was always bag people. Like we yeah. discovered that the AMC 25 or whatever they call it in Times Square was uh, a haven, and why wouldn't it be, I guess, but a haven for uh, the the bums and hobos, which... which a vision of our future, of, mate. Which kind of strangely pleased me in a way because, you know, you would you would think that... Well, this is what always the feeling was with, with AMC, was that all the people running, like, security or the concessions, but any of the kind of front-facing staff were all kind of late teens, early 20s. They're all very young kind of people. And they're not really the ones who are going to approach bums and hobos and kind of say, sorry, mate, you can't commit. You know what I mean? They're just going to kind of go yeah. like, don't look at it. Like, no, just let them. No, listen here, you're just abusing the system. 
Yeah, right. Now they're going to like let it happen. And did you ever, in any of the times that we were in an AMC theater in New York City, did you ever see anyone who even looked remotely managerial and adult? Not once, right? No, that's true. Like it was literally like a, a massive multiplex. They were all cowering in their offices, saying, "No bums. Kids. I don't want to see any bums." Uh, but I liked it because it meant that invariably we would sit down. Normally, these smaller theaters showing like The Stranded or, or, or those movies uh, were, were normally kind of the 50 seaters. They weren't like the big ones. Um, and we would sit down. We'd think, oh, this is great. There's only like three or four people here. And invariably, just as the trailers ended, <laughs> in would shuffle uh, uh, a bag lady or a bum or a hobo um, and kind of take over those front seats that no one ever sits in anyway because they're far too close to the cinema and screen and you just kind of think, well, you're just robbing people blind selling those seats for the same price as, you know, all the other seats. Like that's just a, that's just a, uh, uh, an absolute criminal act, really. It's a scam. It's a scam. Or, or scamola or possibly scamola. It's scamette. Uh, but scam, I mean, no, I think that's, I actually, as a cinema go, I think that's a pretty hefty scam. If they go, well, we've only got seats left in the first three rows, by which you mean you will not see any of the movie and you will have a pain in your neck by the time you leave. I was always glad for those to be the hobo seats. Um, that was always great. Yeah, I although, agree. Absolutely. Although Definitely. it's one thing to be, you know, if you're a hobo, to sneak your way into the labyrinthian multi-floored AMC uh, uh, 42nd Street theater where you can like, there's plenty of areas to like hide out, right? And kind of move from screen to screen. However, the most impressive bum in a screening that I ever saw in my history of going to movies in New York City was literally in the small downstairs screening room of Anthology Film Archives. Now, Anthology Film Archives has the big upstairs, really nice screening room. But then downstairs, they have like a very small, I think it's really just benches. I don't even think there's separate chairs or anything, uh, uh, like a very small screening room downstairs. And it's right adjacent to the ticket booth. And I was in there seeing One from the Heart, the Tom Waits, uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola musical on a really scratchy, shitty print. And this was my first couple of years in the city. And a bum with a full roll roll out uh, um, foam bed, you know, like those little like camping mattresses, like a full roll out camping mattress took over the first two rows of that tiny screening room and later was in the bathroom washing his armpits. And no one said any, like everyone was just like, I'll oh, just let him have it. Like, like confronting this situation uh, would be too much. So that was the most brazen, like bum. Like I've really got to yeah, a point where. AKA <laughs> the ghost of Christmas future. <laughs> right, exactly. That's where I'm getting to. I'm getting to yeah. wandering into the anthology film archives, 30 years And you probably think, job well done. Really I know, I, I, I'm, I'm talking about Clean this from it. Tom Waits movies, that's all you really ever want out of life, isn't it? I right, and so from, oh, fucking Siri, I'm going to throw this fucking watch in the garbage. Um, li listen, if I get to a point where that is my life, I'll be A, more than happy, and B, please, people listening, take, take no negativity from this. I am impressed and applaud the bums, nay hobos of New York City for their uh, wonderful cinema going efforts. I, I think it's fantastic. And uh, I, I think more people should, uh, you know, I'd give over one entire screen 
like a hundred seats or whatever, like I, I'd be like, that's the hobo screen. And if they want to be in here all day watching movies back to back and and whatever, here's the hobo bathroom, here's the hobo screen. How about you got 25 screens, AMC? Like pick one and just be like this hobo screen. And if you see I mean, to be fair, screen, I think they did. Of... It's just <laughs> we would you know go what I mean? to that that's screen. why they put the Christian Slater movie on. They go, well, that could be the bum screen, obviously. And that's the one we chose to go to. That's the one. We are like... spiritually bums. Bums. And they would be like, oh my God, it's those two people, Birdie and Beardy and Baldy, who are going into the bum screening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that's what it would happen. Anyway. I've never thought of us as Beardy and Baldy before, but I guess that is what we are. That is what we are. But no, there will be. So it's unfortunate because um, certainly had COVID not reared its head again after July 4th in the way that it has, um, I would certainly be more likely to plan a trip to New York. However, well, I, I guess I would say, I would say my most the probably the most transformative um uh movie that i've seen through the diner yes over the course of those eight years was the uh new york premiere of local legends in your apartment i would i would argue like that the movie that um you know what i mean most changed my actual life yes was what was that movie in your apartment which was in the sense, I left my apartment. I went to a place. I sat in the sofa and I watched the movie in a different. Yes. You know what I mean? But it was your apartment. But and it was I, the official New York premiere. It was the official New York premiere of Local Legends was held in my 83rd Street, just off First Avenue, across. The and road arguably, from where probably you were. changed your life a fair. No, I guess because I no, guess you've been I, I in had that already. Movie. Well, I so was you'd in already, that you'd already made that connection. I had already made that connection. So yeah, let's. So nice segue. Uh, let let us uh, talk briefly the history of Charlie and Farley on the diner. So um, I was doing the Dola episodes with Nick and Phil. Charlie wrote to me to say, uh, we love Don Dola too and we make movies too. Would you mind if we sent you some movies? I said, that sounds fantastic. And they sent me Freaky Farley and Murder's Monster and Marriage in Manch Vegas. Um, and I was so impressed with the fact that the movies had DVD covers, they were sent with postcards, the DVDs were printed, everything. All these other uh, indie filmmakers who were sending me movies at the time, and I got a fair few, uh, if they weren't YouTube or Vimeo links, like just digital links online, then they were like DVDRs with with the name of the movie barely scrawled in Sharpie on the thing. So that I would look at it and be like, I, I don't know what that is, you know, zombie farm or something. You'd be like, zombie farm? I don't know what that is. You know, it wouldn't encourage me to cover the movie. Right. You know what I mean? Because you'd look at it on your pile. But fr- and the Freaky Farley cover is like, it's a real, it's, oh, a, it's, it's a, a cracker. It's, it's a cracker. It's a cracker. It's a classic, as was the uh, postcard that I got with it because it was sort of this hand-drawn, mysterious thing. Um, and right. I just really liked, and, you know, it had the Dondola connection. It, it sort of had a bunch of stuff going for it. And I, I watched those two movies back to back. I had Charlie and Farley on the show, uh, interviewed them, uh, was, you know, readily and very impressed. And, um, you know, it began a hopefully uh, not only lifelong friendship, but a lifelong interest in their output and even the ability to appear sometimes in said output. I was going to say, like, when I think of... You know, when I when I'm like, God, what have I even done? You know, with my life, like right. when Machine Glow 20 year anniversary. One of the things that crops up in my <laughs> no one's gonna things get that I reference. have done, so you don't 
you know that's, I mean? that's like one of those done. references that you're saying the coke machine glow yeah. reference where no one's going to get it but what you mean is in the past 20 years what have i done in my life yes yeah exactly sorry it's a 20 year anniversary of an album that does not feel like it came out 20 years ago and when i list out like things i'm happy that i did other than you know get married um honestly in the top three is um played uh a, an illegal fireworks dealer named oil can in the movie slingshot cops like that's right it's like i've done that i have not pissed away in my life because i did that where does being co-host of the after movie diner stand in that in that list if, no, no, if, that, that that is up there that if is being up in there, slingshot cops is in the top three next behind being married <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, well, 153 probably, episodes. Come on now. If if we if we if I mean, get there's you know there's getting published right. There's, yes. Um, there's so getting married and moving to New York. Yes. That's number one. Yes. Getting published is probably number two. Yes. Number three is probably playing a character named Doyle Can. Right. Yes. In the in a in a, a, a movie named Stranger Things, only because I've never been in a movie, and that's yes. like you did something if you're in a movie. Yes. But doing the diner regularly and being a regular host is is you know it's it's up there, top five maybe I'd say probably. Well, it's so it's 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 like me, my my um, I don't have a bucket list or whatever, but my unofficial list of things I would have quite liked to have done before I popped my clogs. Um, you know, was like perform in London, perform in New York, uh, you know, do some comedy um, and be in a movie and then like direct a movie. Um, and I've directed a movie, uh, you know, to some extent. I have um, <laughs> I have appeared on stage in both New York and London uh, doing music and comedy. And um, since I moved to the States, I have been in films uh, one, several of which were produced by uh, Charlie and Farley, starting with Local Legends um, and going through to uh, Slingshot Cops. Um, and the upcoming, uh, the upcoming but not yet released Metal Detector Maniac, uh, where you and I also star as, as kind of in the same sequence of scenes, so much in yeah. the same way that Oil Can and Willie John go throughout uh, slingshot cops are sort of occasionally reoccurring characters. Uh, so same with, um, uh, uh, although no, you're just in the beginning of slingshot cops, right? I'm in the middle. I am. Again. I'm only in the beginning, okay. but I, I, I don't mind about that. I mean, Metal Detective Maniac is obviously a more memorable performance, I'm sure. Yes. Um, yes. But uh, but slingshot cops is the one where I get to say to people, I played an illegal firework dealer named Oil Can in the movie Slingshot Cops. It just trips off the tongue. Do you it's know what I mean? It's just fantastic. And, it and just trips it, off the tongue. And in true Farley fashion, like I'm sure other people would look at, you know, what I've done or what you've done or whatever, whether it's releasing albums, doing podcasts, being in movies, um, whatever. A lot of people would be like, yeah, but it's not a real podcast, is it? And yeah, it's not a real movie, is it? Yeah, but it wasn't like a real performance, was it, on London stage or whatever. And to me... Using the Farley method, I'm like, no, they are complete. First of all, uh, uh, no disrespect to Charlie Farley, they are completely real movies as far as I'm concerned. They're on Blu-ray, they're on DVD, they're on Amazon Prime. They're more real movies than this is a real podcast. Let's be honest. Uh, I mean, I don't know about that. This is a real podcast. (laughs) I mean, it's shambolic, but it's a real podcast. I didn't mean to shit on the podcast. I love the podcast. It's the 10th anniversary, and so far I can't even get you to say a nice thing about it. But... um. (laughs) <laughs> Which is fine. That's within keeping with your. It's in keeping with the Jim Wallace brand 
uh, it's yeah, on. True. Yeah. It's, it's very on brand and within yeah, the mainstream. Yeah, if I'm going to shop the brand around, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Then, yeah. But no, I'm so, sorry. But, but, I, no, I, I, no, you're right. It is a proper podcast. I'm sorry, and it is up there in the top five, genuinely. And especially, there were long periods where, you know, if I, if work was crazy or whatever, and I wasn't, and I and I wasn't doing anything creative, I didn't have the time or didn't have the inspiration or whatever. I always felt that meeting up with you and talking about movies for the diner was was like a creative act and i was doing something i wasn't just letting the days drift by so it was very very important when we were going you know when we were meeting up and going to the movies not just because we were meeting up and you know talking bollocks and blowing off steam and whatnot but just the act of talking about the movie release the podcast did feel like you know i did that and you know and then and being the um the bloke down the pub, right? Or the hammer reviews. That was a big thing for me. I'm, so I'm still two movies away from being finished. Two um, movies away from being finished. I'm going to publish another one this week. I know. I know you've got like three, three in the, in the can of whatever. Anyway, we're moving off the point here, which yes. is my seamless segue. Into my Charlie and Charlie movies. in their last movie, Slingshot Cop. And we're going to be in their next movie, which is Mel's Detective Maniac. The surprise movie of the of the of the year of the pandemic was, of the pandemic was an out of nowhere drop yeah. of a new um, Farley and Charlie Motor Media slash Shock Marathons movie. Yes, heard um, uh, she got married. Heard she got married. Which now we available are review for the tenth anniversary after movie Thunder episode, which I think is rather perfect. It is rather perfect because um, if nothing, this podcast is about. Uh, not only champion, championing uh, some indie releases that we love or some smaller or weirder releases that we love, but it's also about that the best reward one can get from creative endeavors is not fame, it's not money. The best reward one can get from creative endeavors is the community that forms around them. And yeah, thankfully, I would agree with that. thankfully, I have been exceptionally lucky to have many different communities that also kind of all intermingle, but many different communities that that go through and intersect with the diner slash miscellaneous plumbing fixtures as a kind of entity. And um, and Charlie and Farley are, uh, you know, again, in the top three of most important kind of communities that I have found myself a part of, the local legend community, as we call ourselves. Um, and, and I'm incredibly honored, and it is one of the greatest rewards to have come from the diner because again it has given us the opportunity to do some acting it's given us the opportunity uh to do some music collaboration it's 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 given us so many opportunities and so many uh great things in our life creative life that and personal life that um it seems entirely fitting that for the 10th anniversary of this podcast that that is really limping over the 10th anniversary finish line it's really like wheezing dragging it wheezing and vomiting (laughs) we're hoping that by covering her she got married um it 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 reinvigorates uh both the podcast and the listeners and everything um and also gives uh charlie and farley uh some much needed um uh coverage media coverage and um and also just praises everything that the diner is about um and so jim uh, to do something that I uh, regret 98% of the time that I say these <laughs> words. Jim, why don't you give us a rundown of the plot? 
Well, I guess the plot could best be summarized by saying it's it's sort of local legends meets Don't Let the River Beast Get You meets Freaky Farley. Right? That is like it's a it's a blend of those right, three but movies. What's the, well, at the but same what's time, the plot? Right, but what's I the know, plot? I'm getting there. I'm getting what's there. The, I'm no, laying right, the groundwork, the mate. I'm laying the tonal groundwork. You've right? become one of the... You've been... Plot-wise, yes. it's a mix of those three movies in that um, the kind of self-starting uh, music musician of local legends uh, comes back to his hometown somewhat not ex- kind of in disgrace, like the character of Don't Let the River Beast Get You. And becomes embroiled in a kind of um, seeming. Uh, well, it's a thriller, murder mystery thriller, or yeah, a mystery no, no, thriller. No, no, I'm getting, no, I'm getting no, no. Don't just jump in. Don't jump in and ruin me flow when I'm laying the groundwork. You're ruining the groundwork. It's like you're putting your big size twelve. Oh, is this flow? Is it is, in is, the is wet this... concrete of my flow? Oh, your you know flow. I mean? Your flow. Yeah. So what yes. I'm saying is, you've got the character flow. from local legends yes. comes back to his hometown, yes. like don't know the rubies get you, uh-huh. and gets involved in kind of like a um, perverted, um, twisted uh, plotline, like Freaky Farley. Only, and this is the interesting thing about the movie. Well, one of the many interesting things about the movie is that, unlike every single other one of their films, that is kind of um, a little bit. Uh, it's you know it's good humoured it's good natured it's a bit silly it's it's you know it's played for not exactly laughs but it is supposed to be um, fun to watch the movies whereas this one takes the same elements of those films like similar characters similar uh, feel um, similar locations but instead it becomes apparent that like, and it's not that it's not funny because it is but it's just of this the. Uh, like you say, the tone of a of a dark psychological thriller. We are not quite sure what's going on and who is who is who and who's who they say they are and who's not and what's going on and all these things under the surface and all the same characters appear and they talk in kind of similar ways and yet it's a totally different movie and and uh, and an incredibly enjoyable one as well. At least I, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was terrific. Yeah. So off the bat, it's a fantastic film. Like it's, it's a really, really fantastic film. It's available on Vimeo at a very reasonable yeah. price. The link will be in the episode description. So please, please, please go over like to Vimeo. half the price of a New York cinema ticket. I would say. At least. Yeah. I think it's 12 bucks. I think it's 12 bucks, yeah, but yeah. it's more than, it's more than worth that amount. Like if you were paying 20 bucks for it on Disney plus or whatever, then you would, you would be very happy. Um, so I think it's on Vimeo, $12. Uh, link will be in the podcast description. It's a fantastic movie. It's filmed in black and white, which definitely helps with the mood and tone because, you know, especially Manch Vegas, uh, River Beast, and um, Farley, a uh, Freaky Farley, the reason why I think of them as sort of a trilogy is there is that New England fall orangey glow to the three movies. Uh, I yeah, know Manch true. Vegas yeah, yeah. takes I know Manch Vegas takes place in summertime. Um, but th- there's still that sort of um, rustic, joyous glow to those three movies that kind of makes them a piece. Um, whereas this, like Local Legends, is in black and white. The difference being, though, is where Local Legends is um, 
you know, it, it lo local legends is this, you know, it's quasi documentary, quasi reality, quasi kind of it's kind of like it's, it's timeless, right? It's the idea of yeah. timeless cinema, like and Bergman it, or whatever. It's like you're watching something that is true for a number of ages. You know, this is the, these things and these people have always been true. That kind but of there's, but, but because Fellini, local, Fellini, right? But because Fellini. Fellaini. <laughs> Fellaini. Fellaini uh, was a Belgian midfielder for Everton with a huge afro. Not Fellaini. <laughs> he made unforgettable Italian classic. Or, <laughs> I'm or sorry, Fellaini. Jeff, Jeff Fellaini, who cuts my ham down at the <laughs> deli at my local supermarket. Um, oh but no, uh, the, the, you know, local legends very quickly because of its um, wall breaking, fourth wall breaking, and its... Um, you know, inclusion of kind of uh, little documentaries about the subjects, like the, you know, he mentions Mose Haven, and then there's like this little break in the narrative uh, to describe what Mose Haven is. Um, you know, despite being in black and white, is sort of goofy from the get-go, uh, allowing you to uh, both enter Matt's world, but also uh, kind of get the comedy and the surrealism of it. The reason why this one is is different tonally is is the the black and white and the filmmaking of the black and white um, is definitely wintry. Well, it's yeah, it's wintry, but it's also definitely more consciously artistic and consciously thought out in a way. Like the like um, uh, it you know Charlie is definitely in where he can with the uh, uh, outdoors shots, especially. Um, is giving room for the camera to breathe um, while this yeah, also like being the, kind the of... Shots of the shots of Matt looking out over, like on the rock particularly, like right from behind when he's yes. sitting on the rock looking out, like, like you say, they are stunning. Um, and, you know, because the, the, the narrative, you know, doesn't break at any point, it's consistent throughout. Um, and because it's a stripped down narrative because this was sort of filmed during COVID. So it was definitely, and, and filmed sort of with just a handful of the regular people that would normally appear in a much bigger uh, Charlie and Farley production. Um, it's, you know, it does feel like a smaller movie, but it also feels like a, a darker movie, a more, uh, uh, you know, it builds on the thriller elements more than it builds on the comedic elements. So even though the first time, so very quickly, the the, the plot. I'm sorry, I didn't even do you, the plot. Should I do the plot? I can do the plot very quickly. So promising, a promising musician played by Matt Farley a few years back uh, headed off on what was supposed to be a big tour. Um, now, all we know at the beginning of the movie is that something happened that went wrong and he's sort of come back. Not exactly, he hasn't come back in disgrace. It's more like people are wondering why he's back and what he's doing. They're sort of surprised to see him, you know, like that's kind of the reaction. It's like they're surprised to see him, um, but at the same time, they're not really, like they're not starstruck at all. You know, it's a, it's a weird thing. They're like, oh, where do you off on that big tour? And he's like, yeah, that didn't really work. Like, oh, okay. Like no one seems that surprised. Well, he was, on, well, he was on the. Hang on, he was on the precipice of a of of a big tour that was about to make him big, and yeah. he gets into a fight with his bass player. Well, we don't we don't know that straight away. We know that something happened on the tour, and then like <laughs> as the movie goes on, small amounts are revealed about what that right, it, was. Right, but that's 
me saying that he got into his fight with the bass player is is yeah you're is, right you're right you're right you're right you're right yeah you it's not giving that. anything I'm away guarding the plot secrets too closely that's what I'm doing well that doesn't give anything away but he got a fight so it doesn't matter he was on the precipice of being something big right yeah so he yeah. he never makes it big but he was on the precipice of being something big his yeah. out a song was getting some radio play people knew his name he was about to go out on this big tour got into a fight with his bass player. People don't really know what happened. There's no kind of detail about it until later in the movie, and I won't reveal any more than that. He comes home stating that his parents passed away and he got the house so that he he thought, well, now's a good time to kind of come home, regroup, write some more songs, see the old neighborhood, blah, 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 blah. And he is planning with, uh, again, very local legends. He is planning with a... Concert promoter Milhouse, played by Milhouse G, uh, in much the same way as Local Legends, uh, to do a gig uh, like under the tent at the farm kind of deal, which would be like a local gig, but a fairly big kind of reemergence of him as a musician kind of thing. Um, and along the way, he is harassed by his uh, postman or postal worker who he we initially meet trying to get a very large cumbersome piece of furniture into his basement. And while Farley is walking around the neighborhood. Which is a great creepy beginning. Like as, as, as the movie goes on and you, you start to wonder like how creepy is the male, which becomes like quite right. an, an involving question. The beginning goes a long way to this like sense of disquiet around, around yes. this guy. Uh, along with the whole homemade uh, hot dogs thing, because there right. is, you know, and, and what Charlie and Farley are so good at, because they obviously, you know, outside of making their own movies, they did a series called Shock Marathons, uh, a series of books that then became a podcast where they would watch old VHS movies and, and review them. And um, they know the horror beats that an audience is going to like be listening out for. So when he kind of, right. when this creepy guy who we don't know anything about, who suddenly seems to be like following uh, Farley around all the time uh, and like just walking into his home and stuff um, says things like, Oh, and I make my own hot dogs. You go, Oh yeah. What are the hot dogs made out of? You know what I mean? Like, you know that that's yeah, yeah, something yeah. that's going to like be a little earwig for the audience to be like, is he about to like kill Farley and make him into a hot dog? Yeah. Um, and and so that's one plot is the mailman plot. And the subplot that is connected to that is Farley outside of his time hanging out with the mailman um, is kind of going around and spreading the seed of this weird mailman. There's uh, uh, talk about some uh, nudie photos that the mailman. Yeah, he sort of, it sort of feels like he's embarking on what he sort of describes as like being undercover, right? Yes. But, but what's weird is he's, he, the reason he says undercover is he, the mailman becomes part of his back, taking the place of like an, an older, an old friend, a collaborator yeah. who he's fallen out with, um, possibly over a woman. And it's, there's kind of this tension between he's rehearsing with this guy and there's, you know, there's a lot of musical moments throughout the movie where he's rehearsing with the mailman and the mailman's on bass. Um, and the mailman is clearly really happy to be part of the band and is, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, but as you say, there's this underlying creepiness about this nudie photo thing. 
um, that Farley is kind of in, like seemingly investigating. And it's he's partly trying to get his musical career back on track while at the same time trying to figure out what's going on with the mailman. And that's sort of the driving force, I guess, the plot, right? Yeah, those those are the, the two different things. It's sort of, you know, will he... And, and, you know, old local rivalries and 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 old local kind of jealousies and things that come into play as well. Um, but, you know, at this stage, Farley and Charlie can uh, create a world and or at least create the world of a town kind of an eccentric New England town in their sleep. You know, they do it so well. And it, it's odd, you know, do you say that all these movies that they've done take place in the same town? Or are these just sort of different towns and are they adjacent to each other? Um, you know, is there a multiverse of the Charlie and Farley movies? Or is it like one universe in which all these characters... I, are, I think they're um, all kind of like next door to each other, right? Because they do they do have different names and whatnot. So it's probably... I, I think it's probably, yeah, like a multiverse where the town is the same, but it has a different name. And the, the character's the same, but they have different names. It's like the same... Yeah, like slight tweaks in like, yeah, multiverse one versus multiverse two or whatever. And, and just and just as Farley, uh, just the same as Farley believing that, uh, you know, to be a filmmaker or a musician, you don't have to go to L.A. or New York. Um, their stories often have that vibe of, you know, just because we're in the suburbs or we're out in the sticks or we're in New England doesn't mean we can't have mysteries. There are things going on to be investigated, whether you are in a big city or not. Um, and... Uh, it, it creates it creates this wonderful uh, unifying feeling between all the movies and unifying theme between all the movies, even though all the movies are very distinctly different in tone. Um, so, and and that that's that's sort of another thing that kind of plays into their uh, their oeuvre, if I can use such a pretentious you word. Can mate, you can. Why as not? Over or. Mise en scène. If I'm if I'm gonna go or mise en scène. Sorry, if I'm gonna be really pretentious, pretentious or mise en scène. If I'm gonna be uh, incorrect in my pronunciation. Um, but the stuff that go they're they're tone they're all tonally different and obviously different in plot. But they all have this overriding um, uh, feeling to them and vibe to them and world build, building to them. And this this is no exception. And I think also. They've developed enough of an audience and enough of a shorthand that the nice thing about Heard She's Got Married is if you are even remotely familiar with anything to do with either of the two guys who make these movies and this music, uh, whether you've listened to the podcast, whether you've come across their poop songs, whatever it is, the shorthand is there so that when the movie starts, there's no explanation needed. You know what I mean? Like that you're listening to a radio thing. Here's a song on the radio. Farley's walking along listening to it on the radio. And when Pete stops him and says, can you help me with this cumbersome thing in my basement or whatever, you're immediately like, oh, okay. I know this world. I know this town. I know these characters. Yes, they build on it. Yes, they develop them. Yes, they uh, uh, weave this kind of, you know, mystery thriller story. But there's no need to there's a wonderful shorthand that just cuts to the chase with her. And she got married from the, from yeah, the I, mean, I think, I think too, it's, it's definitely possible. In fact, I'd, I'd be interested to hear from anybody that where this was the first 
mountain shock marathons, maybe they saw because, um, because I think one of the things about Farley is he obviously usually play even like freaky Farley. Um, he obviously plays like quite, um, you know, the hero, right. Usually like the button, the button down, um, you know, uh, clean sweated hero. Um, and in this one, he's the same thing, right? He's, he's, as the movie begins, he's obviously like the hero of the story. He's the one walking around the town. He's like the melancholy, um, well, you know, I, I artist come back I, to his hometown. Off the, off the back of this, I was going to, I was going to put it this way. Normally Farley plays the, what would traditionally be called maybe an anti-hero. So, but he's a heroic character uh, who is normally unrelenting in the face of adversity. So yeah. as, as adversity comes to him, he, he bats it away with his, um, with his either, either his uh, attitude, opinions or bonhomie, right? I'm just using pretentious phrases all over the place this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bonhomie um, and mise en scene, all right. Well, at least you didn't yeah. mix up Fellini with Fellini. That's all Fellini. I can say. Jeff, which Jeff I'm Fellini. never, ever going to forget that I did. Every time I even vaguely think I'm being clever, I'm going to yeah. remember the time I mixed up Fellini and Fellini. That's okay. That's fine. Everyone's okay with Fellini. I, I like it. Um, but the, the, the thing that is different about this movie is that Unlike the other ones, you actually feel that the adversity is getting to him in this. Yeah, so that's true. The, that's true. That the, there are other the other films like River Beast, for example. He comes back. He's a bit of a disgraced tutor or whatever. Um, but you know, he gets back in touch with his tutors, and they sort of accept him back in. And while the town doesn't quite accept him and sort of laughs at him, um, he is not faced with adversity constantly going through his existence yes his uh his ex-girlfriend's like boy current boyfriend or whatever throws water on him and there's a lot of stuff about that but uh you feel like he weathers that storm and you always know he's going to come out on top in this one you feel the storm getting to him time and time again well, yeah and also he's not met, he's not met so much with adversity right as disinterest it's yeah, like people don't seem that bothered like, oh, he's got a show, but nobody goes because they don't really care. Like, he gets invited on to, like, the local public access show. And again, like, nobody really cares. Like, he meets people like, oh, you're back, are you? Oh, you know, okay. Yeah. Like, no, it's like just in the face of, which I think, again, there's a lot about this movie that feels like more of a, um, like, the dark side of uh, not getting what you want when it comes to creating art. You know, oh, and, 100%. And, and that how was the underlying the, how bitter yeah. and alienated that can leave you. Um, yes. and the, the more the movie goes on, which again is it's really, really well done. And I'd be interested to, to ask you in a second at what point you start going, Is there something wrong with Farley? Like, is there something up? You know what I mean? Like, more than just he's a bit disappointed. Because for me, it was, and again, and I think this is. How deliberate, I don't know, but as a, as a mirroring device, as the same way you think that the mailman is creepy because of the way Farley gets locked in the cellar, there's a moment later on in the movie where Farley deliberately locks the mailman in the cellar for no, for like no real reason that you could see. And that's the moment I started thinking, is there something up with Farley, like the character, right. you know? Wait, no, I, it, it, your first point, I mean... 
I know what you mean. Yes, the, the, there are various cues about um, just gone the midway point of the movie where um, you start to wonder about a lot of the characters. Actually, it yeah. goes from being it goes from being a um, you know the mailman is creepy. Farley's the only one who believes in it. You know, River Beast type movie where he's going to you know, uh, reveal the truth about the mailman. It goes from that to being a bit more of a kind of whodunit. Like all the characters in the film begin yeah, like to what's feel going on here? Yeah. a little and how And how much can Farley... He, he starts to become a bit of an unreliable narrator almost, a little yes. bit. Um, but then all the people he comes in contact with are sort of unreliable in their own way as well, um, yeah. or suspicious in their own way as well. Um but, Speaking of which, could, could we could we jump in really here briefly well done, and talk about and talk about Jay Mayo's powerhouse performance? I can, but I want I want to I, I the the very interesting thing that I want to talk about quickly before we do the Jay Mayo praise because he's amazing in it uh, as is McGee. Um, the thing I I think you are completely correct about, uh, and what I find fascinating, and what I want to talk to Farley and Charlie about is that um, again this feeling of Everything else, all the other movies they do, his podcast, uh, his uh, you know reaction to when people call him a Spotify spammer, whatever it is, all of it is about finding uh, you know your own creative creativity, your own world, your own positivity, your own community, your own thing. And don't tell me I have to do it a certain way to be successful. I'm going to define my own success. Right. I'm going to define my own creativity. I'm kind of whatever. And I I. I've always sort of done the same, but along with that, uh, uh, and, and, you know, I've, I've nowhere near had the, the success that Farley's had, but I've certainly had uh, some of the failures in the sense that, you know, there are days when I'll put out an album or I'll put out a podcast or I'll put out an interview or I'll put out something where I think to myself, like, this is the one, like this, like, this is the one, like, this is the best interview I could have done with Peter Weller, or this is the best album I could have done or whatever. And I put it out. How does the lead singer of the magic go to talking about his favorite slasher films, not completely explode? Right, right. Exactly. How, how is it that when I put this stuff out, even with, even when I put money behind it, even when I tell everyone about it, even when I continually promote it, how is it not setting the world on fire? And then you have to kind of take a step back and you ha have to go, right. But did it set enough of your world and your community on fire for it to be at least, um, buoying you to go to the next thing, whatever the next thing is. And Farley's talking a lot about um, the fact that Mose Haven isn't as successful as he wished it was, the fact that um, the quote-unquote serious songs that he does aren't as successful as he wished they were. The, fact the Big that the Heist, movies, which is mostly the anchor of this movie, right? It's mostly Big, big heist, heist songs. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, you know, and that poop songs or that his comedic songs are the ones to earn him the money and everything else is is while it's um fantastic to his real fans and while it, it while it should be more popular you know it's probably a constant kind of like what do i have to do and the answer to matt farley is what i have to do is make poop songs um and and you know get it get a living off this and then hope that one day you know either a mo single movie or a, a, a podcast episode or a, a serious song kind of somehow finds its its audience and its voice rarely though does farley let that disappointment or let that um negativity fester too much in the output that he puts into the world what i found very interesting and actually 
very relatable and 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 great about her she got married was that underlying sadness of yeah um you know why why is why when i feel like the create or the character feels like his creativity was so poised on the brink of success no matter what he does or how he tries to overcome that uh, nothing's going to work and, it, although, and it, although arguably on that point just in terms of the movie what becomes clear later on in the movie is that he caused his own downfall because of a character trait of like because i guess of the of the relationships you know that end up really defining his bitterness um you know like the, that that characteristic is what causes this whole thing to happen that he can't let go of either right but no, I thought it was I thought it was interesting to see, and I wonder how intentional it is, and wonder how personal it is, because you always think on one hand, you know, especially because Scalzo is the name of of his right, right, right. Um, of his of his partner, right? Of his partner in Mo's Haven, um, his musical partner in Mo's Haven, and he's using the name Scalzo in this as the kind of the bass player that beat him up that. Um, uh, is now with the girl he likes and da 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 da. I really, really enjoyed the movie, and it wasn't just um, the same thing as um, why I enjoy River Beast or or Local Legends, where it's it's very um, uh, it's it's you know it's good natured, it's escapist, but at the same time it's believable. And the one thing I wanted to say, which I realised while I was watching this movie, is that yes, they know how to make a movie. They know how to make a beginning, a middle, and end. I've talked about that before. Um, and yes, that's not easy. But actually what they do, I realized, is that they create genuinely immersive worlds that I believe in. You know, yeah. At a certain point, I believe in um, Farley's character being that guy and what he's going through and where he's coming from. And everything in the world is real and immersive to me. And I forget, you know, as any good movie should, should I forget that I'm watching a film and I'm in that world and I'm intrigued to know what's going on and what's up with Farley and what's up with the mailman. And, you know, um, he, he does keep like appearing in, in, um, uh, uh, in, you know, in the garden of the woman that he, you know, used to be keen on and it's kind of yeah. a bit creepy and there's all these like, like what's going on and all this stuff on the surface. And it's like really well handled in, in how subtle it is. I mean, I agree with you. It's about, you know, that they know the beats, but, to create consistent worlds that are believable and that you can escape into as a viewer and, and just experience that world is really, really hard to do. And you and I have both watched our fair share of like not great low budget movies where nobody, even though everyone's like pretending as hard as they can, no one comes close to making you believe that this is real and this is what's happening. Right. You know? and and it's what, a and real, what... real gift. And one of the great things about it is we all know these guys or have met these guys in in reality. Uh, but when I put in uh, a Charlie and Farley movie, I never put it in and go, oh, I'm just going to watch my mates, you know, dick around yeah. for an hour and 20 yeah, minutes. Yeah, like yeah. I put it on and I, I mean, obviously there's that moment he walks up and I go, oh, it's Pete playing a character. There oh, is right, that. Right, right. But then after that, I'm only interested in what character is he playing and what character is Farley playing? And I'm not, I'm able to distance myself from the fact that I've met these people that I've even been in one of these movies. Like even when I yeah. watch things from cops, like I'm part of the world. I don't watch it and go, Oh, there's me hanging out with my friends. 
it's it's um it's very immersive and it's very well done and and, and, and actually like I was, we were just about to talk about jay may is a great example of a guy that we yes. know very well who runs his own podcast has like he has you know he's a he's a a different guy um you know when you're with him then it's like you know he has his own he has a, a persona when he's on the podcast um not that's like divorced that but everybody has like you know that the podcast and just like i do and you do but when he's playing the copper, I totally buy him as a cop, you know, yes. like yeah, the duty, and he's, and I forget it's him. And he's just, he's the cop and he knows the guy and he has to go to his boss and he's just doing it like on the side. It's all, you know, and he's so believable and, you know, and funny, but also it's just, yeah, it's, I mean, him, him and great, McGee, yeah. him and yeah. McGee could, could be their own spinoff movie quite happily. Definitely. I would definitely, um, like to see a, Mc, a mcgee and mayo join and instead of like a slingshot cops i would like to see it like be a more hard-boiled oh, uh, definitely. Like dark, it would have to uh, be thriller with the two of them would be fantastic i think that the other thing that they do incredibly well in this movie um which which almost makes me want to see a movie where they where they don't do this and they completely play it straight but the fact that there is the language that we're used to and the humor that we're used to in this movie. And yet the overriding feeling of the movie is still of a dark thriller is, is equally uh, amazing because, and also the live music, there, there are music performances in this movie, much in the same way that there are in local legends. Um, and, and at no point do you go, Oh, okay. I, you know, this is just Matt kind of putting music in. You realize it's part of the plot. It feels like part of the plot. They're playing, characters within those musical scenes and it still maintains the thriller vibe despite you know some of the more comical language despite the you know the the hiding behind the curtain seemingly being like a you know a sexual element to it even though yeah. they're just hiding behind the curtain and kind of making that out uh making more out of that than there is the fact that he constantly refers to the bit of furniture at the beginning as sort of this cumbersome piece of furniture and the fact that it's just such an obscure and weird thing to be doing. Like, the, despite it still being very much in the vein of their other films, the, the, the fact that they're able to weave that, you know, language and comedy into something that still turns out to be, and I don't just mean the, the final twist in the movie, but the, the, the ongoing overriding vibe of the movie is, yeah, it's like it's, it's disquiet and unease. Yes, and and, and, and everybody's playing their role as like I live in in every town USA, and I'm just bumbling yeah. along, just like they do in the other movies. But here, there is like that. There's an unease about that, and there's a disquiet about that, and a lot of that I think is to do with two things. And I'll just finish up with this. For me, I think the the two things that that stand out are the the music, not the although like the Farley written songs are. are great but the music the internal music like the actual the sound of the movie the, the, that kind of melancholy um keyboard um the ghostwriter is does like a lot of work in creating that melancholy but disquieting vibe and then charlie's camera work which is as you say like exactly like you said like letting the camera breathe a little bit everything just there's a everything lingers a little bit and that in itself the way he shoots things um, and the timing of scenes and the way people are talking to each other, there's just a slight melancholy and just just a little less pace, just taking a little pace off it. 
brings it this this whole different vibe of unease and it's just really really well done and i i really enjoyed it i thoroughly recommend it to everybody it's worth 12 quid of anybody's money um yes. and you'd own it forever so why wouldn't you do that and you'd be supporting people who you know made a film in a pandemic you know um, and yeah. a brilliant one where they totally they didn't just you know try out the greatest hits and they could have done it in a pandemic they decided to push themselves and make something totally different and i really wasn't sure what to expect because i knew it was going to be different i knew that much going in and i wasn't sure they could pull it off but it was so involving and um and gripping and it was just great and i loved it yeah me too me too it was a really it was a really great effort um and uh yeah, I will talk more about it with uh, both Charlie and Farley and Jay Mayo uh, on separate occasions because um, I'm going to try and get some of that in here as well. Yeah, good plan. Um, I like it. That sounds a good plan. But thank you ever so much for your part in both the history of the diner, this 10th anniversary, and uh, being my wingman not only on uh, audio but also in the films of Charlie and Farley. Uh, we, I like that more often than not. We, we will be appearing together. And I hope that's a, tr a trend that continues. Um, and I know that they're set to film yet another film soon. Um, and uh, and so you must come up for that if we can get I would, I would love to, well. mate. I that would, would love be... to. That sounds good. Okay, so we now take a short break for everyone to adjust their trousers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Done? Jolly good. And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, you can support us over at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash aftermoviediner. Or go over to aftermoviediner.com and donate directly through the website for one time only. Or buy us a coffee utilizing the button on the website. Uh, or follow us on the socials, anywhere where the words aftermovie and diner are all slammed together and a little at symbol precedes them. That be me. So come follow us. Come get into a chat about a movie or two. So without further flapping of my voluminous gums, uh, it is now time to introduce to the podcast the 
brains, hearts, bodies, and limbs behind this very film. Uh, the people who put the blood, the sweat, and the tears uh, into creating Heard She Got Married. Uh, the, the people who took the rough, uh, dusty-hewn coal and crushed it and crushed it and crushed it until it became the shiny diamond that is this film. It's none other than the most prolific songwriter of all time and uh, wonderful actor, writer, and director, Matt Farley, and phenomenal uh, film director and editor, Charlie Roxburgh. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. I'm, I'm pumped. Listen, the 10th anniversary of the After Movie Diner meant that we needed to do something special. You know what's funny? With this being 10 years for you, it makes me realize like how early in the the podcast you were when we discovered you, you know? Like uh it was yeah. very good time. Yeah, I think we started the Dolor episodes around like episode 30 or something. I think in our end of our first beginning of our second year, I think. Yeah, and we yeah, ever since. Yeah, and then Charlie, I think, emailed me shortly after that. But no, because it's the 10th anniversary uh, and we wanted to do something special and the only thing I could do to get Jim out of uh, out of hiding was, uh, it was his idea. It was like, let's do Heard She Got Married. I was going to write a, a review of it. I may still write a review of it, but he said, let's do it for the podcast. And I thought, that's a fantastic idea. He said, if there's anything worth celebrating on the 10th anniversary, it's the... <laughs> people and the community and the films and things that we have not only found but also kind of become a part of over the last yeah. 10 years mm-hmm. uh, absolutely and the kind of local legend Moton media shock marathons kind of community has uh welcomed us with open arms so we figured for our 10th anniversary we'd uh pay it back you know what i mean or whatever that whatever that is yeah so that, that was the well, whole we'll, idea behind it yeah and uh we'll uh we'll tweet Party. all about it this is going to be like the definitive source about her. She got married. I like it. That's that's the plan. I for the first time ever on this podcast, we've got Pete coming on tomorrow. I heard that's hey. exciting. Yeah, I'm nice. talking to Pete, and then I'm talking to Jay Mayo on Good. Friday. Hoping. Yeah, uh, and then that'll kind of give us a nice wraparound. Um, I might even I could ask Sharon Scalzo. We're friends on Facebook. I could ask her see if she wants to come on the show. Uh, the only one, yeah, the only one that's elusive, of course, is the great McGee, but uh, he doesn't do many of these things. So, <laughs> nah, nah. <laughs> you, gotta just, you gotta just find him at the beach, like I did uh, yeah. last week. If he had a footman, like like who 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 you know, someone who he like sparred with, like odd job, who was also a technology person, who would come over and place the camera in front of him and say, "All right, talk now, McGee." Yeah. Then he would. Then maybe that could fly. All, if he's not busy, but other than that, no, you're not gonna. You know, okay, so so that's got to be an idea in one of your future movies. Is <laughs> yeah. McGee having a footman? Yeah, uh, he's bars with. <laughs> he's bars with. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say that picture you posted, uh, Matt, of meeting McGee on the beach. I mean, he is he is jacked. I mean, I always knew he was a big guy, but my goodness, his arms look uh, his yeah. arms look like Godzilla's thighs. <laughs> well and it was legit i'm just we're just me and elizabeth and the kids were, were getting some food and suddenly joanne and kevin mcgee are there i'm like hollywood 
And uh, no, his wife immediately was just rolling her eyes, and McGee was, you know, <laughs> taking it all in like he should. It was beautiful. Wow. Awesome. That is, that is a, fantastic. Like, let me put my arm here yeah, just, and get it. Just, oh, let me just, oh, really just, yeah. That was fantastic. He did us proud. He did us proud. The uh, former professional athlete, Frank Stone. Um, <laughs> Just fantastic. Well, gentlemen, first off, Heard She Got Married is an unmitigated success. I don't know if I'm using the word unmitigated, but I think I'm using it correctly. But it is an absolute success. <laughs> um, a phenomenal film. Uh, Jim and I both loved it. Uh, just fantastic. And um, what I'm most excited about is obviously on your podcast, uh, Matt, uh, the Motor Media Infomercial Podcast. Everyone subscribe to it today. Uh, you have announced that basically yours and Charlie's plan is going forward to kind of do two of these types of films a year. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And we're, you know, we're already mildly regretting the announcement, you know, as as we look at the calendar. Like just before talking to you, I was talking to Charlie and I'm like, Charlie, we need to amend our uh, plans because uh, <laughs> everything takes a little longer than you want it to. And it's like and it's very hard to be like editing one project while writing another project uh however um w- you know we've done we've done the two for this year with metal detector is very close to being finished and uh and we definitely think we can do it and you know announcing it to the world is going to motivate us that much more because we don't want to let you down well <clears throat> that's true i mean i've learned the hard way the number of times in this fickle business that i've announced that we're going to be doing a certain thing and then uh Someone gets ill or someone refuses. Like there's a number of interviews where the PR person has said, oh, this person will definitely be on your show. Here's the date and time. And then you get to the date and time and the PR person says, sorry, they've, they've you know, come back from vacation and said no or whatever. Um, that I've announced, oh, I'm going to have so-and-so on the diner only to find out that, no, I won't. So I learned the hard way. Never make a public announcement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we all we get it, you know. We're all we're all just barely trying to make things work, and um, but I, I think we can keep the pace. And you know, if we don't keep the pace, maybe it means we make eight movies in five years, which is still amazing. Still amazing. It, it, listen, any movies, even an annual movie, uh, uh, would be yeah. phenomenal. And uh, your fans and uh, friends would uh, line up around the block and 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 wait for that movie to drop every year so uh yeah don't be too hard on yourselves obviously we want the 10 we will hold you to the 10 but uh (laughs) if it doesn't happen we're happy with one but don't let the other fans and friends like don't let them know that i told you that because really we want the 10 (laughs) oh yeah yeah we're pretty we're pretty relentless and and i mean we have more than 10 ideas you know so it's really right um it's not about that. It's it's really the logistics. But um, I mean, so far so good. And and making this movie went about as good as you could expect. Uh, I'd say. Yeah. So I was listening to the podcast where you covered the film uh, the other day on the uh, Moton Media Infomercial podcast, and and you did something a bit different than you've done previously with this. And 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 Charlie, maybe you can speak to this as well, being behind the camera. But um, you swapped out cameras for this one and you kind of went with a, a sort of a built-in mic on the camera. Is that correct? No kind of external audio? Um, well, we had a, um XLR cable right. running directly into the video camera. Okay. 
So there's no exterior, there's no slating, there's no other device that's recording. Everything is in perfect sync from right. the time you record. Um, <clears throat> and yes, it sped up everything. It sped up filming. It was more important, I think, for speeding up editing to not have to sync things up. Um, the quality was quite good. And um, because we kind of, you know, this was kind of a, a smaller movie, a lot of interiors, whatever we could, you know, manage to, to film at, at that time, it suited itself well to that also. You know, it's hard It's hard to sometimes get out in the woods with yeah. a big, long XLR cable. Like some of the shots in River Beast would have been a little bit of a challenge, uh, that kind of thing. But this was like, okay, just using a mic stand, get it just off frame. We don't have to rely on a boom person. And we're getting really good audio from the get-go with this shotgun going right in. So we're not using the onboard Mike, right. you know, we're not using anything that's built into <clears throat> the camera. We have a nice Audio Technica shotgun, but it's Great. just running straight in with XLR, and it was a, it was lovely. So much easier. saves saves a person on set, saves time, saves yeah. saving later stress on. to me because <clears throat> uh, because uh, you're you're tethered. I know I've talked to a couple camera guys or or, or director who, people who uh, will not do that and just can't handle it. Or right. if they're real, if they're actually like uh, it's their job, and they're like, you know what, no, this is not me. But it's a little crazy because you want to run around on the set, and if you're wearing headphones and you've got like a mic plugged into the camera, you're kind of like you're encumbered. But um, I'd I still wouldn't change it. The pros outweigh the cons. Most definitely, and uh, you know, it it would also sometimes a limitation can be a. Um uh, a form of creation, right? So if you had to keep the camera on sticks, for example, if you had to keep the camera set, it maybe gives you more time. Uh, and I think this happens a lot in Heard She Got Married where where we really felt, I think the expression I used was, you really give the camera the ability to breathe a little and the shots a little bit to breathe. Um, you know, if you are kind of stuck to one place, you can build the frame, right? You can put in the frame how yeah. you like and it's not so much about the movement, but more about the the kind of creation of the of the frame. Would that be yeah. fair to say? Oh, more than fair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> spot on. We had time on this one, especially when it was uh, shots with Farley and Pete, because they they you know we all are in the same boat and we know how the pain of filming and the time and everything. It's awesome, fun, but it's you know it's time, and. Uh, we're used to it. So we're kind of like, you know what? Just give me a second. I'm going to get these lights here a little different. You know, let's look at it together and see if this framing is good. And, you know, if it took us an extra 10 minutes to walk a little farther up the hill for me to get a wider shot like, right. of Mayo, I just kept walking up that hill. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you know what? It could fly here. This is okay. But I'm just going to keep walking and then call those guys on the phone and say, all right, camera set, action, and then they walk, you know. So we had to do stuff like that. But we, we took our time with the frames, yes, as much as we could. But with all the time yeah. you were saving on the <clears throat> on the radio mics or the separate audio recording, you know, you have that extra 10 minutes, right? Yeah, I think so. I think Sorry, so. Matt, we're, we're you were going to say, Matt. Sorry. Well, and like, <laughs> like, well, like Charlie said, like if it's me and Mayo or if it's me and Pete um, – then Charlie especially knows like, all right, these guys are, don't mind, you know, like we don't mind just standing there while he tinkers with things. And, uh, there's a, there's a great free, freedom in that versus if it's someone who we know only has two hours, then it's kind of like, all right, we got to go, 
high speed mode. But uh, it, you know, some of us have, some of us have have nothing else to do, and so we're willing, we're happy to just hang out. And and so one one other question about kind of the filming aspect of it. The film is in black and white. The last time uh, you guys did something like that, or Matt specifically, you did was Local Legends. Outside of that, the the kind of trilogy of films that that I kind of came to know you for, which was kind of Freaky Farley, Manch Vegas, and River Beast, all have that kind of autumnal glow about it. Um, talk to me about filming in black and white and some of the benefits, but but also maybe some of the drawbacks of that. Okay, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, benefits, it's easier to match stuff. Uh, matching locations, which we have to do across different states and different people's houses. Um, I bought whatever props were cheapest to, without regard for color. Yeah. For example, Jay Mayo's uh, wearing, uh, or, or Pete was wearing a bright orange, neon, like orange hat yeah. and, as, as a delivery man. But we're like, you know what? I had this hat sitting around. It was two bucks, and uh, I'm not gonna buy a new thing because we don't have to worry about that. Right. So it's it, so for matching and things like that, it was nicer. Um, I felt like we could push the silhouettes and some of the moodiness a little bit more on this one too. Yeah. Um, and also the tone was was right. You know, we we made it just pretty small movie by ourselves with some. Uh, darker themes and uh everything was kind of pointing in that direction where the other ones have a lot of freewheeling playing in the river and shooting you know shooting hoops and yeah. frolicking with the beast and stuff you know you got it yeah autumnal new england is definitely one of our things too but um no this worked out pretty well and uh everything kind of came together and and matt yeah well i love black and white i just um you know, especially uh, if you're shooting digitally, um, I feel like the dark, the black and white takes away from some of the hyper brightness or or when it's too HD kind of. Um, and especially because I'm not good. Uh, I edited this one and like like Charlie's good at, at adjusting the colors uh, in the editing room to, to, to take away some of that harshness, um, whereas um I, I don't have the skill or, or patience <laughs> to do that. So I just press the black and white button and boom, problem solved. Yeah, there's, there's no color temperature with the black and white. So it, 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 uh, even if you have a cheaper camera, which I know you have a better camera, but uh, even when you have a cheaper camera, I think it was Tarantino that said years ago, like if you're a student and you want to just go out and make a film, you know, shoot it on any piece of crap and then make it black and white you know, up the contrast a little bit and it's going to look so much better than if you did that with a cheap mini DV color thing because you'll look at it and you'll go, ah, that looks like it was shot on video, but you shoot it on black and white and it, it, it gives you that added uh, look and feel to it. Um, well, I mean, and obviously it fits the tone. So let's uh, talk a little bit about the story. This one's obviously um, a darker story than we're used to from, from you guys. However... It, it still maintains the love of language um, that you guys always put into your, your films. Um, and it, it still maintains your unique sense of humor, um, but yet has this wonderful sort of mood and darker tone throughout. So talk a little bit about from the scripting stage to the scoring stage, um, Matt or Charlie, um, kind of how you 
why you wanted to go down that road of doing that tone and then how you kind of maintain that tone throughout. Yeah, thanks. And um, it just, uh, well, we wanted to make something quick, you know, and, and one, like one template for us was psycho. Um, Cause like uh, Hitchcock famously wanted to kind of like film it in the way that he filmed his TV show, you know, which is like, quick and just getting getting to it and in and, and simple and and whatnot so we're like let's make a movie like psycho you know like one of the greatest movies of all time let's just <laughs> let's just do that yeah that's um, easy just rattle, yeah. rattle off another psycho <laughs> <laughs> and and so then like the general vibe it, we were just like a suburban noir was like the phrase that we started with like that was like all we had to go on to start with was it's a suburban noir Whatever that conjures up in your mind is, uh, is you know, the vague vibe we were going for. And then slowly the plot um, the plot just kind of developed, me talking to Charlie and also me talking to Pete and Tom and, uh, and Froggy too. Just, you know, like, hey guys, this is some ideas we have for the movie. Uh, what do you think? And they might, you know, offer a, a few little tidbits. My, my wife, Elizabeth, too. And then uh, just slowly, um, I, I, it's one of those things like you don't, I don't even remember exactly how the plot uh, came to be. And definitely like we kept coming up with ideas as we were writing. Um, but it was very much about like the dark, going for this dark, broken dreams kind of vibe. And the black and white was definitely going to go well with that. And, and you know, as usual, um we got to incorporate my music career into into the storyline. So, um, so you know, I was like, this whole Mo seventy five concept album has some cool, you know, it has it would be a cool backdrop to to this movie. So, we worked that into it, and um, yeah, I mean, it was it was so. I think it was spring of twenty twenty was when we started brainstorming, and then. By uh, June of 2021, boom, finished product. Yeah, and it definitely feels like the guy who wrote Mo 75, if that was Mitch Owens who wrote Mo 75 or, or created that album with some friends back in the day, he's gone off and tried to have a career and now he's sort of coming back and some of those friends are still around and some of them aren't and sort of the, uh, so, sort of the sadness of that. But also, we also got a little bit from it that that also nobody really kind of cares that he's back. It's not. It's not in the same way in in River Beast. Like when he's when uh, your character in River Beast comes back, either your Tudor friends are like, "Yeah, he's back," or or your enemies in the town are like, "Oh, he's back." Whereas in this one, nobody really seems to know, <laughs> notice, yeah. and it adds to the melancholy of of your character, Matt. So we we love. Yeah, that. he's been back. He's already he's been back for over a year. Right, I, right, right. I, I'm pretty. Yeah, and it's just kind of like it's probably exemplified by the Sharon character too. Yeah, when you meet her, because you know she's kind of like, oh yeah, you're here, you know, and that that's about it. It's not like she doesn't go too much into it, or she doesn't really, you know, ask too much. She's just like, you know, take it or leave it. She's worried about like what covering her shift or just like getting through the day with work. And I think it's a pretty true thing. I think we all go back, especially if you've moved away from your hometown. Uh, or even your university town. Like I have a lot of friends who stayed in my university town, and sort of whenever you, whenever I go back to my hometown or my university town, there's always a thing in the back of my mind. Oh, I'm gonna, 
I'm going to show up at the train station and like, John is back. All hail John. You know, it's not, it's not like that at all. Like nobody gives a crap. Everyone's life has moved on and everyone's doing their own thing. And unless, unless they have no lives of themselves and are, are only paying attention to what you're up to, uh, you know, nobody cares that you get back. So I, I, I thought that rang very true. Um, yeah. Great point. Yeah. And, and let me just add like, um, uh, the second scene with Sharon, like, we we especially uh, like when Sharon at the end of the scene where Sharon is saying, um, "Oh, she's like, oh, take the sign down on your way out. Oh, and here's your bill." Yeah, like those are two crushing, crushing moments for poor Mitch Owens. You know, yeah. I compare. I think to Charlie. I was like, this is like in Taxi Driver when he calls. Um, the the woman to ask her for a second date, you know, and, and Scorsese moves the camera away from uh, De Niro because he didn't because the pain was so much that yeah. he couldn't even show it. That that that's Mitch Owen's moment like that. Yeah, no, I I I, I love that, and I also felt uh, Matt that it was, you know, you've you've you know you've been on a journey that we've all been following you on for the last few years, and whether it's through your podcast or through your albums or through your tweets or whatever, we're, you know, we're following the story of Matt Farley. Um, and even though you have had your moments on the podcast, obviously of being frustrated or negative or whatever, even jokingly um, about the state of people's response to your serious music or um, uh, people's response to your films or whatever. Um, there's always a uh, upbeat resilience and a, creative focus to Matt Farley, the persona, right? The out there outward persona. Um, I felt like with this one, and even in your movies, actually, all the characters you play in movies, even if they're anti-heroes, or even if they start off as villains and become heroes, like Freaky Farley or whatever, there's still this idea of, you know, you're moving it forward. You're the positive aspect. You know, that there's, there's, you will win the day in some way, right? Whereas yeah. in Heard She's Got Married... It, I felt like you lent very heavily. In fact, it spoke to me. The overriding message that spoke to me out of the movie was to do with that disappointment. And it's not anger so much. It's this disappointment that we all get as creatives that while we can tell ourselves, you know, as long as five people love what I do, then it's worth doing. Uh, we can all tell ourselves that. Uh, and we can all feel that, truly feel that and create for those five people or for ourselves and create for ourselves there's still that little twinge of disappointment where you're like, why am I not, you know, Elvis Presley? Like, look how good this stuff is. And I'm not this thing. And I felt like, um, I felt like this movie, the, the, the kernel of that spoke to that somewhat disappointment in creativity. Is that something you felt like you both brought to the, the script and was it intentional? Or do you think that just built out of the character you were writing? Um, well, I mean, Charlie and I definitely know the the heartache of uh, of, <laughs> of our work not being uh, <laughs> very well received. So we have a lot of it could be more heartache, Farley, after the the financial results came in from Hertz. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the people who more extreme in the sequel, like yeah, well, <laughs> to to be yeah, fair, yeah. the people who watch it and the people who like you. Like, really, like, like the people who watch your stuff and get your stuff, like, love it. It's not like you put stuff out and it gets a torrent of negativity. Is that right to say? No, you're, you're right. Everyone, everyone who watches it, it loves it. I mean, the letterbox reviews, there's a lot of them, and they are, they are glowing. Yeah. And it's, these are actual people. This is not us using, uh, like, fake accounts. <laughs> <laughs> 
See, now but you've really, said that, I think it's you using fake accounts. Protesting <laughs> <laughs> too much. But um, to answer your question, one of the things, like, it was basically, let's give Mitch all of my worst qualities, you know? And so, like, Mitch, Mitch is very petty, you know? Yeah. And it... And, I'm not that petty, but you know, I definitely have <laughs> have a little chip <laughs> on my shoulder sometimes, you know. And yeah. I'll I'll rant at poor Charlie. I'll be like, "No one respects us like they should." Ah! <laughs> and so, you know, and I'm slightly joking when we do it, but not really. And um, but basically, just every time, every time, whatever direction we could go with the way Mitch acts, we go with 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 the worst uh the worst quality so it's basically like the monster within matt farley uh, is mitch owens <laughs> and, and also the the uh the you know the music pursuits that your character has i think you know it's not unlike us premiering freak getting turned down by all the festivals and then premiering freaky farley in the basement of the manchester city library <laughs> with a handwritten sign taped to the door and like just you, me, and three vagabonds, you know, watching it. But um, I, that was fun. I, I, I like dark comedy, too. So I, I just chuckle every time something happens to, you know, Mitch Owens, where you're like, oh, my God. He, like, you know, he goes on public access, which is, like, it should be, like, a cupcake interview, and that doesn't go great. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. he has this lowest-level promoter in the entire universe upset with his ticket sales you yeah. know so we just we just kept piling it on what could go worse you know at the, probably the lowest point is the taking down the signs that he's personally walked around and placed yeah has his own street team because it might conflict with this dive pub <laughs> <laughs> this little so. cafe this dark cafe yeah. yeah um no it's 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 fantastic and i do love the kind of dark Coen Brothers-esque humor that kind of runs underneath it as well, which is always welcome. But Charlie, obviously you don't have, obviously you've been on Matt's podcast, but you don't have a podcast yourself. And um, um, you're always very uh, uh, positive or jovial when you're on Matt's, Matt's show. But do you have Dark Nights of the Soul where you kind of go, I think my movies are great. And why is no one, uh, why are they not like huge blockbuster movies? Did, did some of that go into the script as well or not? Only mainly for comedy reasons. I mean, yeah. I'm laughing about it now. <laughs> it's yeah. We try 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 to try to keep positive. Yeah. Keep, keep doing things. Keep turning it into comedy, and uh, you know, it's cool. It's cool to keep keep making projects. And uh, it, it was it was really awesome that this one, you know, was able to come out pretty quickly. And uh, as anyone who's ever made a movie will say, momentum is like so key. Yeah. And I think the momentum that this one had being a smaller movie and we, we couldn't use our, the real Tom Scalzo because he was too far away. We couldn't have a lot of the other people that we normally have. We were like, OK, we're making like a play. Yeah. We actually talked about that when we had the Elizabeth and Farley hiding behind the curtain thing. Like this is like a little like Shakespeare moment or something here. Right, like, right, right. Well, what do we got that we could film with? Well, we've got Elizabeth. We got Pete. We have the we have a package of hot dogs and we've got and we've got a living room yeah. you know so you know that's what we were working with the small things um but no Matt, I, we, all comedy let me, let me add um the day that we filmed the pop the, the the hot dogs um we were so we hadn't had breakfast and it was it was like 11 12 in the, uh, in the middle of the day 
and those hot dogs were just taunting us. But we <laughs> said to ourselves, we can't eat, we can't eat them till we're done with the scene. But right. those were the the best hot dogs I've ever had, and it was purely because we were starving. Everyone was salivating during the scene. You were like, Pete, get these lines right because I need a hot dog. Um, yeah. No, and I, but I think it's 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 a really interesting area for um, art, creativity, and discussion because, um, and that's what one of the reasons why. I love your podcast so much as well, Matt, is that I feel like the whole podcast as a whole, like if, if someone was to start, you know, episode one and go through the whole thing, it's this, um, it's a work of art unto itself because it discusses the nature of art and creativity and the nature of life and looks at all those things. And I feel like having heard She's Got Married as a movie, it, it's this interesting counterpoint to local legends or this interesting counterpoint to... Uh, River Beast, um, where you know where you are leaning heavier on maybe the the thing behind the curtain you don't want to show people all the time, and uh, I think that's what makes it you know it makes it interesting for people who have never seen your stuff before, and this is the first movie of yours they're seeing, but it makes it really interesting for all of us who have kind of followed you not from day one, but, but, but from as early as, as any of us kind of came into it, certainly from day one in the podcast and, and very early in your run of films, um, that, that have become better known. So I, I mean, I love it. And I always think that, um, I always say to everyone when they come, come around motor media, I'm like, sure, jump in right now and enjoy what you're doing. But like, please go back to the beginning and try and engulf yourself in the whole run of, uh, sort of the motor media ongoing creative art project that you're working on because it's it's infinitely fascinating and funny. So um, and heard she got married plays into that, which is which is great. Yeah, well, it, let me just say, um, it was like you know, um, like Freaky Farley's probably was probably our darkest movie uh, that we uh, we have made, you know, uh, up up until this one, and. Um, and that, you know, we were premiering them to friends and family. And um, and then, like, we were kind of tailoring the movies to those premieres, sort of, because it was, like, after screening um, uh, Freaky Farley to, like, my parents and uncles and, and you know, and nieces and, and what and whatnot it was like oh this is this is a little dark you know for for our our very specific audience and so we we definitely got a lot lighter but then uh, with this this movie we're most of the people we know aren't even going to see it so um and and we do you know we love horror movies we love hitchcock and and we you know even though we 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 like the humor we do like doing dark stuff but it's also, it's also i think that no, I do. No, I, I do know what you mean. And with Freaky Farley, I think the, the the slight fantasy elements of it sort of take some of the edge off the darkness in that movie in a way. Whereas the more that the, without necessarily wanting to be like pretentious or whatever, but without the more that the line has blurred between the story you're telling elsewhere, Matt, with your music and your podcast, and then the stories you've started to tell in the movies... Uh, especially like local legends, this one, even River Beast in a way, the more those lines have blurred a little bit in between all those things, sort of the more richly fascinating it becomes in a way for those people, like I say, who've sort of been with you since Freaky Farley onwards. Because it doesn't yeah. include the fantasy element in quite the same way. Yeah, I, I mean, I I envy uh, people who, who get to discover our work and, and just dig in because... Uh, 
Now, uh, this sounds very <laughs> self-congratulatory, but it's cool. It's a pretty cool body. <laughs> it's pretty darn cool body of work. And it's like, oh, have you seen their monster movie? Oh, have you seen their dark psychological comedy? Like, um, no, I don't think a lot of other people are doing this on a on a local level. So uh, I'm I'm super proud. Way to go, us, huh, Charlie? Yeah, or go back to the paper boy and see you and me reading the audience reaction to our movie and, and how our how our <laughs> work was received. You you know you're not supposed to be that dark. I think when you're 20, but uh, <laughs> it's good. Yeah, we've been mining this territory for 20 years. It's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, and it just it everything builds on each other and everything informs each other, and I think it's um. That's why it really truly is a, a body of work. And sure, you could take any one of the things at face value and they would still be great. But uh, once you start to interweave, you know, and you start, you know, just the introduction of, of like Jay Mayo being a regular cast member or, you know, the, the in Slingshot Cops where you got some of the people who had recently discovered you online to kind of come do cameos and things. Just little things like that. It may mean nothing to a stranger watching the movie for the first time, but it, it, it layers things on for the rest of us. You know what I mean? And I think that's, that's, that's a fascinating thing. So you brought up, uh, Charlie, uh, not being able to get Tom Scalzo for the role. Um, in line with what I was saying about kind of, you know, truth and fiction and real life and mm -hmm. art, uh, and so on. Uh, it's fascinating. And I heard Matt, you were laughing about this on your podcast. Like let's keep calling people, uh, by real people's names, um, but making them like jerk <laughs> characters or whatever. Um, but in this one, it's it's a bit odd because, like I said, there's that thin line between kind of truth and fiction with this movie in a weird way. And uh, uh, having Tom Scalzo as sort of this negative antagonist, or, or we believe as it goes as the the first half of the movie that he's this sort of negative antagonist. Were you just were you just like laughing about that behind the scenes, or is there a little nugget of dark <laughs> truth to that, Matt? <laughs> nah, there's no there's nothing really negative about about Tom, but I mean, I, I think just it's natural for us to give him a role, and then to think of have it become in our minds that guy's Scalzo. In my mind, I'm thinking that's Scalzo. So when we couldn't really film with him, I'm not flexible enough to want it to not be the guy who we've been using for all these amount of years. You know, I feel like even yeah, if yeah. we change, this happens to me and Farley all the time. We change something, like the name of a character or a place, and then it gets messed up in the script where we didn't control F and find every single one. And then we say the old one sometimes, or we say the old one by mistake when when you're you know hunting for the line in your head. Uh, on set so um it was just go with it you know just go with what we imagined and uh there, yeah he's he's not meant to be negative in in, in any way that scouts is a cool cat you know he's he doesn't have any of that really in him <laughs> but it it just seemed like um hey farley and scouts go together in, in these roles and let's just keep it you know and then it, it's also a tribute really to the shock marathons movies of uh, the, the the 80s and VHS, which always said somebody, somebody, George Kennedy as Mr. Lester, or, you know, it was always yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So then when we started doing that in the Druid movies, I think even with Tom. So it was kind of like being able to say somebody, somebody as Tom Scalzo was just that added uh, callback. But I, 
I, I definitely, I mean, uh, while we're filming it or even writing it, I, I, at some point I was like, uh, people are going to think that I'm really upset with Tom, huh? <laughs> like, so, yeah. you know, yeah, right? um, and, and when I finally saw him before he saw the movie, I was like, just so you know, <laughs> this is, this is pure fiction. Uh, but I think people are going to think that I, I really dislike you after you watch this. <laughs> yeah. Although you do, you did do a song. What's so great about Scalzo, right? In college. Oh, oh yeah. That released. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah, that's a joke, I guess. If a girl looked at Scalzo, would be what's so great about Scalzo? So maybe that, maybe that <laughs> that tinge is there a little bit, but it's mostly all the just... ladies, all the ladies love Tom, all through college, you know. They they always go for Tom. It's Mr. Cool Scalzo, you know. I had to I had to get back at him somehow, so I I wrote this character. <laughs> yeah. I like that, though, because, yes, no, there is no grain of truth in it. Like, you and Tom never had a, a dust-up before you went on stage. But um, but there is that little thing of, well, when we were in college, like, there's always yeah, that little nugget of truth there. So, <laughs> <laughs> even if, even if it everything was one is night, now. one February in 1998. And we're like, remember that one February yeah. night in 1998? I've been thinking about it. <laughs> it's going I'm, in the I'm thinking about it going in the movie. I'm well, I, I've had, I, you know, you know me, I've had the Wallace brothers that I've known since I was six years old. So, I've, you know, I've known them over 35 years at this point. And we still have stuff like if you start to pick at that scab, it just becomes, but you did this in 1995. <laughs> yeah, but you did this in 1986. Like it just becomes a thing. So you never pick at the scab. You just let, let it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like having a brother or a sibling or something. You you don't bring up the old stuff because uh, you know where it's going. It's just going to go right oh. down into well, the I still place. get nervous. I get nervous when you and Jim disagree. And it happens a lot. Like every podcast, like four or five times. <laughs> yeah. Like, fighting but clearly uh you guys can handle it so and it makes for a good podcast yeah we we can handle it most of the time i think there's been a couple of times where we were like tired and grumpy where and then you never hear these episodes but halfway through the episode we're just like no on the quick and the dead (laughs) one you said i disagree totally with what you said but go on (laughs) (laughs) no i'm not gonna go on now because i want to hear what yeah, well, it was funny. I got a, I got a laugh out of it, and uh, you guys did always do a good job. <laughs> well, we do it like brothers. I mean, you, you, it, it's not even a friendship anymore. It's just like ah, we're stuck with each other. It just is what it is. Like we've known each other so long, so you just, um, you know, you can say anything to to. We can say anything to each other, and we just kind of hopefully it's water off a duck's back. Occasionally it isn't, but and the most ideas of the time. come out while you're chatting. Uh, I'm sure, you know, like you, you know, you, you guys mentioned that in other podcasts too. Like I didn't think about this until right now, but this scene yeah. reminds me of this, you know, and that's, what's so cool about podcasting yeah. and chatting with people and, you know, just keep doing these creative projects. Cause you might not think so much about it or take notes on a movie if you weren't doing something like that, you know? And is that what you guys are like when you're writing? So uh, I have interrupted right now uh, one of uh, Charlie and Farley's writing sessions on a Wednesday evening. So I won't keep them much longer because I want them to be writing the next epic uh, Shockmouth and Motown Media creation. But is that what it's like? Is the benefit of writing together like this sort of face to face on camera and and kind of typing on a document the the fact that uh, you can kind of go, oh, yeah, I hadn't seen it that way. And you can sort of live with it for a week and then bring those thoughts back to each other every Wednesday. Is that how it works? Yes, I would say so. Without doing that, I don't, I don't know how we would do it. You know, it, it, it's excellent. Uh, 
and then you know building on other guy ideas and you know we we don't really outline either so like with her she got married we knew where it was going but it's all on the fly for feel if we're like you know what we haven't seen the elizabeth character in a while and then then it just that you know that just comes out and then we do it on the fly there's there's no the last few movies, yeah, it hasn't really been uh, outlined or note carded or anything, right, Farley? Wouldn't you say we kind of just know what we're, where we're picking up the next day? We we do that trick of leaving a, a sentence that says next week, write this, include the word, you know, uh, ne'er do well at some point, and that's like all we've got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's great, and but I mean, so we do a couple hours on Skype once a week, but um in during there's a lot of emails and texts going back and forth on all the other days so it's uh it's good and oftentimes it'll be an i like like you know since we wrote scene eight now i think we need to adjust scene three to keep it consistent so then when we meet on skype we're like all right step one let's fix uh scene three so it's consistent so it's kind of like we're doing multiple draft like we're doing the multiple drafts as we go as opposed to like finishing right. it and then going back we fix it as we go and um and then we're pretty much done once we get to the end it's it's we've written everything but i mean it's cool like we didn't know we knew where we wanted to go with her she got married but we weren't quite sure how we we're going to get there and that, that's a pretty exciting way to write so have any of the any of the upcoming 10 ideas that you're working on for this five-year project. Um, do any of them include a Jay Mayo uh, McGee uh, double-act movie? Uh, because I think after seeing them work together, and Jay Mayo and McGee are both fantastic in this film. Of course they are. Um, they're just tremendous. Uh, I think everyone on the internet wants a Mayo-McGee uh, double-header movie. And in fact, as a second part of that question... Um, have you ever thought of doing a, or have you ever written a script where you're like, maybe we do have two other people play the leads in this rather than Farley? I know why you have Farley because obviously you're always around Matt, but like, have you ever thought? Not really yet. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, every moment that McGee and Mayo were on screen together or not was just so good. And like, uh, down to their wardrobe, you know, and their facial hair. Everything was so good, and we were just so happy so look, looking at every every moment of them. And um, you know, even like McGee talking to the EMT at the end of the movie, like this very quick, uh, not essential scene, and we're we're just sitting there like admiring <laughs> the the, yeah. the magic of that of that moment. Um, so yeah, we. We love the way the two of them interact, and um, and we, we would love to do it. But in terms of uh, leading men, I mean, it's just, you know, Charlie can tell you. Uh, it's so much. We got to just keep Farley on the screen for not just because I'm obsessed with myself. Right, Charlie? No, we can't. I mean, we only get McGee for two. We film with him for two hours a year. No, that's yeah. that. And it's at his house. So we, we got to be sensitive to his uh family needs and his time that he's got so if we wrote a scene where mcgee is down by a river and traipsing around and then climbing these rocks and stuff it would just be too much you know and we'd be disappointed you know if we write it and then can't do it so uh but i i do you know if i looked at my crystal ball i would say we would see mayo 
and McGee reprise those roles. <laughs> those yeah, roles again if I'm looking at I think you know when when you when you strike gold, you know, and you know where it is in the hills, you got to go back to <laughs> yeah. that. That uh, <laughs> that little. He might have to play it all on. Maybe McGee's on his phone, and he's like, you know, Mayo's out doing all the investigating. He's like, call me, keep me updated, and then he, yeah. <laughs> he's off. It. Yeah, I mean, because obviously you you made this sort of during the pandemic, um, and and I don't know whether that because you kept everything so small, whether that even played into it. But was there anything? about that that made it harder or easier or better or uh, we just you know we just uh were able to i was only me going over to farley's house and you know we just we don't we didn't have the resources anyway to to do much else um so right. all we had was you know this little play of a of a, of a storyline with just these few characters so um yeah we didn't we didn't involve anybody else we don't need to go to rental houses for equipment um you know it was it was pretty small time and then that was good for for that whole that whole scenario but uh you know it kept us focused and then the editing work you know editing is just farley was pulling some late nights at the computer and uh you know you just you know how it is editing your podcast or whatever. You just you just slogging through it, just go going, going, going. But uh, it was cool, and you know maybe maybe more, maybe a few people on Vimeo who were looking for something new to watch during the time when there were a few less interesting movies coming out gave it a chance. Although by judging yeah, by the yeah, numbers, I'd say that's not so. the case. <laughs> oh no, I wanted I wanted this. You know, Simon Barrett, the the famous film director, just tweeted about it. I want this to be. I want all your films to be, you know, bigger than Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead or whatever thing he's ripping off this week. Have an original idea, hack Snyder, you hack, you... Anyway, uh, I just wish it was you guys. I wish people were like, yeah, it's another Charlie and Farley movie, woo! Like, I wish that was the case. Well, I haven't... Given up? I haven't given up. It's uh, we were a little disappointed with the initial returns. One one um, thing is though that, that there's people are still getting it. You know, it there was like the initial big big it for us number. You know, <laughs> which is not yeah. impressive by any scale. But like since then, you know, every week uh, a handful of people are getting it. You know, and it's like all right. You know, and. And like I said, everyone who who watches it likes it. That Simon Barrett thing was really uh, was nice. You know, that, that's a great little um, testimonial from there. And um, and and I think that if we just keep on making them and keep on you know keep on doing this, then you know all the old movies that are there too. And then the idea is just like if they all the movies work together and, and they're bringing in money, then um, you know. It, we could at least afford yeah. to uh, to to not lose money on it, and that would be beautiful. And stuff like that spectacle series and stuff, I know that really helped because it makes inroads into... I know just from going to screenings in New York in general back when I lived there that you see the same, you know, like 50 New York film nerds at those kind of screenings all the time. I mean that as a positive, not nerd as a negative. Like a, I'm a film nerd. But... Um, but you see those guys, but then you find out that those guys know a guy who writes for Fangoria, or those guys know a guy who does TIFF, or those guys know a guy, like it all spreads out, right? So it's all, the community is both bigger and smaller than we think, right? 
Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so um, yeah, I think we'll. Uh, I think we can. Um, I think we're get, people are going to notice. Like eventually, eventually people are going to notice because like the ideas that we have are, are really exciting and uh, and cool. And so, um, oh, you know what I want to know though, Definitely. like for, for you, and you've been involved in our our previous three productions, and then. We'd turn this one out quick with with people who are mo- more local and whatnot. So for you to sit down and watch it, um, like especially to see Jay Mayo in that role, role uh, tell tell us about that experience. Oh, I was angry and jealous, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was upset. I was like, guys, I was here in Connecticut. No, listen, um, it's fantastic. I love. I love anything that Jay Mayo does, and I'm I'm happy to see it. You were very generous, uh, Matt, to ask to use one of my songs in the film, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. I mean, not many people can say that they've had their music in a Farley film when normally it'll be, you know, one of the Motor Media suite of players, uh, normally the guys doing the soundtrack rather than uh, outside people. But me and uh, Trademark Issues uh, were both on the soundtrack, so yeah. I feel... You it know, sounded great. Super psyched sounded about great, that. By the way. Um, your song sounded great in that scene, don't you think? I did. I loved it. I loved it. Look, I look. I'm I'm going to put that on my IMDb. Anything to pad the resume, guy. You know that's that's my favorite thing. Well, and when uh, did you, you move to Connecticut? What 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 month? March. Okay. All right. So the thing is, though, we yeah. wrote it thinking we wrote it thinking you were in New York then, and we didn't know when you were moving north, and it was like. We can't write a scene for him uh, if he's in New York City. It's gonna be too hard to make it happen. But don't worry. We, I mean, we got the next movie coming out. Oh, your performance, right, Charlie? I loved. I loved watching it, and I also like the idea that apart from local legends, um, every time I'm on screen in a Motown Media movie, Jim is across the way there. I like the idea that after movie diner is kind of me and Jim have these kind of duos in in the movies. Um, so I hope that oh, it's, it is. Um, I mean, yeah, that would be amazing. It's already in the script, yeah. You know, and I, I tell people too when I, I one last other thing I would mention when people are getting used to wrapping their head around like you know buying a movie, it you know there's Etsy where if someone makes a nice scarf and it costs like thirty yeah. bucks, they'll be like, this is a handmade thing made by someone in their house. And I would say, yes, that's awesome. Buy that thing. Like, this is made by a person, and it's something they crafted. Make it. But with a movie, there's still a need for some folks to wrap their head around, like, what went into making that movie? And if it's not yeah. made by a, cor- a big corporation. And um, I don't know. I think... The corporations have monopolized music and movies as this thing that requires both a gatekeeper and also a certain level of polish and for whatever reason there is a mindset there is you know my mindset is to hell with that like tell me a good story i don't like it doesn't matter uh whether it was made in you know new hampshire or whether it was made in la or whether it's made in bulgaria wherever uh you know i'll tell me a good story and 90 percent of hollywood movies have run out of stories. All the good stories I'm seeing are in independent movies. Yeah. So that's that's why I gravitate. I think it's them. you know just just wrapping your head around. Okay, someone handcrafted this movie with no institutions or you know uh, corporations involved, and 
I, I'll give it a chance in the way that if someone makes a scarf, maybe I'll buy that scarf or something, you know, or or folk art or painting or drawing. There's all these things that people are willing to give a try to if it's, you know, an independent small project. You know, if someone did a, a sketch and tried to sell it for $12 at like the local fair and it was a nice charcoal sketch, you'd say, you know what, that's fair. That's a good price. I'll right. buy that charcoal it's sketch for $12. It's a, it's a nice piece of art, and I'm supporting this artist. You make a movie for thousands of dollars yeah. over the course of several months, and you and you might say, like, oh, here's this thing. Eh, I'm just yeah. going to stream something, you know, from Netflix. Yeah. Or, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just like wrapping your head around uh, things is, is sometimes a challenge. You, you spend more than $12 on a gas station coffee and donut these days. Like everything else on the planet is so expensive yeah. at this point. Like Kim and I just went to the supermarket and got probably three meals worth of stuff. Like not a lot of stuff. Like to see us through the weekend, right? Three meals worth of stuff. It was like a hundred and something dollars <laughs> for like three meals worth yeah, yeah. of stuff. And I, I'm like, it just, <laughs> and we don't even buy that like fancier thing. So $12 for me, for a movie, you know, look. To own it. Disney, Dis yeah, to own it. Disney is selling Black Widow to rent, to rent, not even to own it. $30 on top of the $8 a month I already give them for Disney Plus. Yep. So they 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 want to rent me Black Widow for $30. I'm not even in a cinema. I don't even have the surround sound and the seats. I'm not paying anybody any stuff. Yeah. Like at least when you go to the cinema and it's 20 bucks or whatever to buy a ticket to the cinema, which is still too expensive, at least you're going, well, I'm paying for the cleaning, I'm paying for the staff, I'm paying for the lights, I'm paying for the surround sound, I'm paying for the big screen. Like you know where your money's going. But $30 to sit and watch it mm. at home? Ah, no, I refuse to do that, Disney yeah. Plus. Uh, I, on the other hand, will spend $12 on Vimeo and encourage everybody I know to spend $12 on Vimeo to watch Her She Got Married because it's five times more original than Black Widow. And uh, it's quicker, better, easier, more exciting, um, and just it, all round better bang for your buck. And you're going to watch Hope. it at least, you're going to watch it at least two times also. Yeah, you haven't seen it if you've seen it once. I've I've watched it at least twice already, and I'm going to watch it a third time to prep for my uh, uh, Jay Mayo and Pete interview. So I'm watching it again. Look for tomorrow. a lot of clues so. all over the place. Yeah, that's the other thing is you guys weave weave all this stuff throughout, and there's always little Easter eggs and little ideas throughout the movie that is always enjoyable to look at. And uh, it's funny. I'll leave you this: the the last um, the other day, I was kicking around some old files that I had on a, a drive and I found a script we were talking about earlier about making the movie during a pandemic last year. Uh, I ended up doing more music than I ended up doing writing, but I found a 12 page script that was going to be after movie diner presents the radio flange goblet movie. So it was going to be the movie about Radio Flange Goblet, the fake little radio station that the After Movie Diner appears on. And I wrote 12 or 16 pages or something. It was, I wrote a good chunk of the first act, basically. But the idea was, and I was trying to write it so that if all people could do 
would be to go into their own backyard and like film themselves with their phone or like sit behind a desk and film themselves like behind a desk. I tried to make it so that I could film it during a pandemic without ever leaving my apartment. I didn't get around to doing it. And I kind of regret never doing it, but there was a nugget of an idea there that yeah. I might. <laughs> and you could play multiple characters too, like you do with your voices, you know? Pretty easily, yeah. <laughs> right, that yes. would be. Uh, yeah, so so that might come that might come about in 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 the future. Um, so because I need to pay you back, you guys have roped me in. I want to rope you guys into <laughs> to do being in something in the future. But um, no, in all honesty, guys, a, a genuine uh, thrill whenever you guys put anything out, and we're always here for it on the After Movie Diner. And uh, we loved her. She got married. It's a crowning achievement to have done it on. Uh, uh, you know, such a short amount of time with such a small budget in such a homegrown way, um, and uh, everything is up on the screen, and it's great. And what a what an awesome story! And uh, yeah, can't wait to see. Um, you know, I won't be able to be at the premiere for Metal Detector, which is sad. But um, you know, I'll, the moment the the DVD or the Blu-ray or the Vimeo or whatever is available, I'll buy wow. it. You've got and, you've got a lot of great lines in that one, man. I've I've been chuckling as I edit here every day, and that's it's. it's <laughs> It's the hair, the upright hair. I can't wait to see that hair on film. That's oh, what I'm looking it's for. lovely. <laughs> the whole, the whole, all the all the professorial college scenes just crack me up. Well, I remember saying to Farley, I think it was, I was like, I thought about like putting talcum powder in my hair, or whatever, to make myself look older. And he's like, Man, we're already going gray. We're already older. <laughs> like you don't need to make yourself look older. <laughs> I forget that I'm 41 sometimes. But it's great, you know. We're we're documenting our uh, our our aging process, you know. I mean, Local Legends was 2013, so you've been in our movies for eight years now. It's pretty cool. It is, it is, and long may long may it continue. Look, thank you ever so much, guys, for giving us this time. I want to hand you back the rest of your evening so you can do some more writing, and uh, we will talk to you, get talk to you again in the future. Don't stop doing what you're doing. We love it. Thank you. Good times. Thank you. Thank you, John. Okay, so here is another short intermission before we get on to the next interview. Go outside, avail yourself of the concession stand there. Maybe pick up some popcorn or a lime lollipop. Uh, Maybe duck into the bathroom there and staple on some more hair. Uh, Whatever you need to do, go do it now. And we'll be back in just a moment Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. 
computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No just a moment, just a moment, just a moment. Right, back in your seat. Anyway, now coming up on this jam-packed Heard You Got Married, a special 10th anniversary episode of the After Movie Diner. It is the actor, the musician, the singer, the writer, the filmmaker, the all-round wonderful guy, handyman, woodworker, lover, fighter, seaman, extraordinaire, bushwhacker. I don't know. Anyway, uh, he is always a welcome addition to any podcast or round table conversation or dinner table or backyard hoot nanny. You all know who I'm talking about. Uh, it's the one, it's the only, Jasif Mayo. Hello, Jay Mayo, star of Heard She Got Married. Oh, star, I like that. Hi, John, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. I think of you in this movie as the third lead. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I think, as far as the poster is concerned, I think I'm third build, so if, if that counts for anything, I, I accept that. Yes. Now, uh, you should definitely, I've already told Charlie and Farley, you definitely need to star in your own film. Uh, they were, they, they obviously preferred to put Matt in the lead because obviously he's around all the time and they can film the majority of the film just between him, Charlie and Pete, like whatever. And cause I asked the question, like, will you ever do a movie where it's like someone else starring in the film now that you're doing 10 move five move uh, what is it 10 movies in five years like are you ever going to do one that isn't like farley based and they were like no but i said if you were doing it it should be jay mayo based and in fact i would go one further it should be jay mayo and mcgee based um as a, but then they only have they only ever have mcgee for like two days so or like two hours sometimes so uh, uh, that doing a whole movie with you and McGee probably not possible, but yeah. I would like it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that would take quite a bit of time. I mean, when uh, the last I don't know a few movies anyway, anytime that we've done anything with McGee, we've had to go to his house, and there's about an hour or two window that we have to film, so we just cram it all in within that hour or two. So, yeah, trying to do a whole movie, just he and I, that might take some time. I don't know that we would get 10 movies in five years or whatever it's supposed to be. Uh, it might take 10 years just to make one movie with Miggy on his schedule. But, yeah, yeah I'd, love, I'd love to do it. It would be a lot of fun. I mean, um, I know we did Slingshot Cops a few years ago, and that was a buddy cop movie. I'd love to do a buddy cop movie with Miggy. That would be a lot of fun. And we could even do it as the characters from Her She Got Married. Like, we could just do a spinoff. Yeah. Uh, that's, but again, I think that would take a little bit of time. Well, what, what, if, uh, it, what if you leave the force and become a P.I. So McGee wouldn't have to be in it, but it would be J. Mayo P.I. hunting down, you know, a character or whatever. I no, like that. I'm I'll, trying I'll not rogue. to spoil... Heard she got married, so I'm just saying a character, hunting down a character for the sequel. 
Yeah, I, I would be down with that. I wouldn't mind uh, going rogue and just trying to figure it out on my own. I, I could be okay with that. Even better, if you've only got two hours with McGee, you do the opening with McGee. You have the credits. McGee is then killed off. Which, you know, they've only done once before with the River Beast, but he's killed off. And then, uh, well, he's killed at the end of Freaky Farley as well. But you know what I mean? He's killed off early in the movie and then it's Jay Mayo, Rogue Cop, for the rest of the film. I would watch that. Ooh, and it, I have to avenge his death. I like that. I don't think that McGee would sign off on being killed in a movie <laughs> where we're just we're doing a spinoff of his character and he, and he dies immediately. I don't know that he would be all right with that. Uh, I'm okay with it, though. I will avenge that man's death. He was my partner, yeah. and we were close, and I will get revenge. Uh, so... Uh, talk to me about how uh, Heard She Got Married uh, came to you and th- working in um, a motor media film doing your, I think, largest role to date, if I'm correct. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, it came to me the same way it always comes to me, which is Matt sends me a text and says, hey, we're doing another movie. We wrote a part for you. Or are you available on these days? We don't know what we're going to have you do yet, but we just need people. Um, and I'm, I'm always more than happy to do anything Charlie Farley, um, you know, whether it's in front of the camera or behind the camera, I'm just excited to be a part of it. And it, it really does mean a lot to me that they continue to ask me to do these projects with them. So, uh, I get the text from Matt after, um, you know, we, we had already filmed a good portion of the uh, previous movie, which has yet to be released. And uh, they were toying around with the idea of Heard She Got Married while we were still filming that previous movie. And uh, they said, yeah, we'll let you know when we're ready to go. So I get the text and they say, hey, are you available on these days? And I said, absolutely. I'll make some time for you. And uh, it was it was a much bigger role than I'm used to which is nice. Um, I, I suppose after whatever, three or four of these films now, um, you know, I've kind of worked, I've weaseled my way into the Motern media world, which is, <clears throat> well, I think it was really beneficial on slingshot that you did so much behind the camera as well. I think that impresses them. Yeah. And I'm always happy to do that kind of stuff. I'm, you know, that's kind of what I do here in my own life. Anyway, I'm behind the, computer or a microphone or you know at work um i'm a sound booth or whatever so i'm i'm used to running lights and cameras and pa systems and doing all that kind of so i'm I'm more than happy to do it for friends on a film and uh yeah i weaseled my way into this one i guess and of course i say weasel uh, in a joking manner but um yeah they they said uh yeah we're gonna we're gonna have you play um we're going to have you play Detective Mayo, which is nice. I, I wasn't going to forget his name. That's no. good. And uh, it turned out to be a much bigger role than I thought. You know, I had quite a few lines in this movie. And uh, they're like, yeah, your partner's going to be Kevin McGee. And who who wouldn't want that? That's like the, the role to have of all roles, right? Who wouldn't want to be um, a, a, a police detective whose partner is Kevin McGee, a.k.a. Hollywood McGee. Hollywood McGee. Listen, <clears throat> I agree with you 100%. You were completely correct to snap that up and uh, uh, and do the role. But also, um, 
you know, you are a gift to any uh, set and any creative endeavor. So um, it's incredibly wise of Charlie and Farley to uh, give you more screen time because the fans demand it and uh, the, the, the film aficionados want it. So uh, I, I think they were very smart to have done that this time round. Uh, I was uh, enthralled every time you were on the screen, legitimately so. And it was excellent to see something you could kind of put your teeth into a little bit. And, and what I love about this movie in particular is sort of, you know, normally uh, in some of the monster movies or whatever, there's sort of protagonists and antagonists and there's sort of a group of people who hate Farley's group, but then there's a group of people who are kind of with Farley and supporting Farley and doing Farley's stuff. And in this one, everyone is just there to antagonize Farley. <laughs> like everyone. <laughs> the only person who likes Farley is Pete's character. And, uh, uh, you know, for most of the film, you are highly suspicious of Pete's character. So, you know, for most of the film, Farley is this, like, lone voice just being beset on by by everyone. Um, how many days did you film? Uh, and how many locations were you in? Oh, I think I filmed maybe five or six days total. And uh, maybe three different locations. Uh, they did a very good job of making it seem... Like we did quite a bit more. I mean, as you know, with Charlie Farley movies, it's on a budget and it's on a, a time crunch. So they they do the best with what they can in the few locations and the little bit of time that they do have. So they made it look um, like it was several different locations. But really, uh, we filmed some at a park at the cathedral, what they call the cathedral, um, which is... Uh, essentially at a park we filmed a bunch there we filmed a little bit at mcgee's house and then we filmed at another park just matt and i uh where the scenes where he and i were to meet up to talk about what was going on with uh the mailman and all that kind of stuff and, and the two different Terra tara situation uh, so i think it was three three different um locations but i i think a total of six days i worked on it Nice. And is the cathedral where all the power lines are? Is that is that what they call the cathedral where the big final shot? Yeah, so where the where the where the power lines in the final shot where you know uh we're just walking off and uh, where that stone structure is towards yeah. the end of the movie, that's all in one location. Um at a, at a nearby park near near Matt's house essentially. Uh not that far away. So a lot was filmed there and made it in. We made it seem as if we were in other locations as well as um, at McGee's house. We kind of we we kind of bumped around McGee's house to make it seem like a few different locations as well. So, yeah, working with McGee. Uh, tell me about that. Intimidating. Sure. Uh, but but is he also collaborative? Oh, absolutely. So, uh, first and foremost, is it intimidating? Yeah, the man is a is a physical specimen. He uh, he's physically intimidating, and he's very confident. So, to to new actors, that might be a little bit intimidating. Fortunately, I've worked with him enough now. He doesn't remember my name, by the way. But uh, <laughs> he uh, 
I've worked with him enough to know who he is and how he is. And yeah. like, I, I enjoy being around that now. Again, if this was the first time I had met him, I'd be like, who the heck is this guy? Um, but yeah, he's, he's physically intimidating and he's very confident in his performance. And he's got that, I don't want to say William Shatner-esque thing, where, but he speaks in a very certain cadence and he believes in himself which is why he's Kevin McGee, right? Right. And um, but it, it is—it's a lot of fun working with him. And um, yeah, it's—is it a little bit intimidating? Sure, but he also tends to bring out the best in everybody. Like the—the the one thing I will say about Kevin McGee, and I talked to Charlie about this for quite a while, is Kevin McGee will give you two hundred percent every single time. And he will do whatever he can to make sure that everyone else is doing the same. We had one scene with um, a, a guy named Frank that was helping out for the day. And he was playing like an EMT. And he had one line. And Kevin was going over the line with him and and saying like, oh, well, try it like this. Like you're confused or try And it, Kevin was working with this guy that's never been in a movie before. He was just there helping out. He was just an extra set of hands that we could use for another, you know, hey, we can give this guy a line and it's one more character. Um, but Kevin was working with him, not in a intimidating kind of way, but Kevin wanted to make sure that this scene was as good as it could possibly be. So he was giving him some pointers or, you know, I don't want to say he was doing any directing, but he was trying to help out his fellow actor and say like, hey, this scene can be even better and here's how you could try it and then try this or try that. And then, you know, Frank did exactly what Kevin was, you know, implying, like, hey, try it this way. And he tried it that way. And it gave Frank some more confidence. And so instead of being a little intimidated or scared because now he's in front of the camera, he's now got a little bit of Kevin McGee confidence. And yeah, the scene came out really nice. He's got the McGee bump, they call it. They call it the McGee yeah. bump. He got the McGee. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what they call it. You got to get that little, just that little push. It's the McGee bump. You got it. And it was, that's, that's a proud moment in any actor's life to get that. Um, so were you there the day that they filmed the very last shot we see of McGee? Because I think the audience is meant to feel like McGee knows the truth. Like outside of everyone, McGee knows the truth. I think that's what I, so what I was going to ask based on what you just told me, did Charlie and Farley say, like, so we need that look so that you might know the truth? Or did McGee say, like, I think I know the truth. Give me a chance to do this look. How did that scene work? And were you there when it was filmed? Yeah, so all the scenes with McGee were at his house on one day. And we were all, you know, Charlie, Farley, myself. Uh, and for a good portion, Frank was also there. Um, so, yeah, the I think the intention, I, I do believe they did tell McGee, like, hey, you you understand what's going on the entire time. Don't let on with your facial expression like I, I know, but, but also kind of let on with your facial. You 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 don't buy it. You you might not know 100 percent of the details, but you if anyone suspects of anything going South, it's you. Um, so yeah, I think I, that that was premeditated. And of course, if anyone's going to be able to, you know, 
act with their expression. It's McGee. Yeah. So they gave, they gave him the free reign to do that how he wanted, but they, they, there was an instruction of, um, you don't know 100% of the details, but you know something fishy is, is up. So, yeah. No, yeah. I was just interested how much is, how much is it implicitly guided by, by uh, Charlie and Farley and how much is uh, them in editing going, oh, that look McGee gave indicates something that's interesting. So that, I just wanted to find that out. That's awesome. So do you do, do you do anything consciously to uh, sort of change your character when you're, when you're playing a different character? Or are you just trying to be yourself as best you can with the lines that are given and a new character emerges to the audience? Um, I, I think a little bit of both, to be honest. Um, Matt is really good about getting the script to me a little bit before I show up. And I know he doesn't do that with everybody, especially when you don't have a whole lot of lines. Uh, but he tries to get the script to me before I show up for my filming days so that I can look over it and try to figure out specifically what the scene is about. I might not know 100% what the scene is totally about or what the intent is with the scene. But at least I can get a feel for the lines and figure out, you know, what what would this person do? What would how would this person go about doing this or saying this? Um, and for me, a lot of that is trying to figure out in my head who is who is the character. I mean, I'm certainly not a method actor. I'm barely an actor as is. But um, well, your, you know, must, I don't your want... mustache does a lot of the heavy lifting. I feel like in this movie, you're goddamn right, it does. But. Um, <laughs> I, I think that uh, I, I try to, at least in my brain, create who I would think this police detective would be. So, you know, getting the script and looking at it and trying to figure out in my head, all right, how how would this person say these things goes to one part of it. And then the other part of it for me is costume. They let me figure out, you know, it, again, there's no budget. So if I decide to um, wear a certain outfit. That's, that's my conscious decision of who that character would be. And I put a lot of time and effort into that. So for me, the time and effort went into, if this person isn't a beat cop, he is a detective or, you know, he's out there plain clothes, right? So shirt, tie, slacks, um, badge, handcuff and gun. And they said no gun. So I left the gun at home, but um, but also this isn't a big police department. This isn't, uh, you know, um, this isn't a rich person. So I wore like the ugliest bargain bin $1 necktie I could find. And, you know, the clothes didn't fit specifically well. So little details like that. I, I purchased my own police badge, like a legitimate police badge. Now, putting all of those things on made me feel like I was Detective Mayo. Had I just shown up with a shirt and tie and no badge or no handcuffs or any of that kind of stuff, it would just be Jay Mayo acting in a movie. But when I had all of the things that I thought about, like, okay, if you were a police detective, but you didn't have a whole lot of money, where would you buy clothes and what would they look like? So doing all of that, going through the process of doing all of that made me feel like the character. So a little bit is, is premeditated and I'm trying to be the character. And then the rest of it is just when they say, 
you look confused. That's just me trying to look confused, <laughs> right? I, right. I, I've, I've never taken acting lessons. So like I, this is just my natural reaction. This is just the way I deliver the line. And hopefully people like it. Yeah, I, well, I was saying, I think I think what you and Sharon do, and, and McGee and, and everyone, but, but you and Sharon in particular, the reason why you guys are so good on screen is because you're able to, uh, you know, a lot of professional actors and stuff talk about like, oh, it's getting out of your own way and it's trying to be natural and it's trying not to think too much. And yes, you can do a ton of preparation, but on the set you have to then throw that away and just kind of be... Um, I think the way that you and Sharon are, you both are able to be on camera. And and yes, there's a character there and the character is coming out of the script and coming out of maybe some of the choices you've made, but ultimately you are confident on screen and you don't look um you don't look awkward, you don't look unnatural, you don't look you know, you just look like you're doing it, you know what I mean? And I think that's um that that is a, a great skill that I think more untrained people probably have it than the trained people. The trained people probably are a little more like, shit, what am I meant to be doing right now? And, you know, who's my character and what's my thing? And I feel like you guys can just be better. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah, I think that's the intent is we're not trying to act. We're just doing what we think that person would do. Yeah. And and it's sometimes it's as simple as that is just here are the lines. Here's here's the intent of the scene. So just do it how you would just react the way you would react. If if I were to get upset normally in real life at someone stepping on my toe, then do that. Don't don't try to do it too much or <laughs> pretend like it didn't hurt. Yeah. React the way that you would react. And that that comes across. Whereas I think I'm the opposite. I'm always like. When someone says like, oh, put that mug down or whatever on the table when you come into the shot, that's what I'm thinking. Like when I walk in, I'm thinking about like, how do I put the mug down? Where do I put the mug? (laughs) I don't just walk in, put the mug down and whatever. Uh, I'm also always thinking about a silly voice or a stupid facial expression. (laughs) Like Like I can never just... I'm going to put this mug down right here. (laughs) Seriously, like if you, I haven't watched the the scenes of Metal Detector Maniac yet, and I can't remember how much they curbed me when I was on set. I think they kind of told me to take it down a bit, but I definitely saw my characters talking like this, being a bit blah, and being a bit kind of crazy and whatever. And I'm sure they told me to not be like that, but there was definitely. Like, I like characters like that. Like, I mean, at the beginning of Slingshot Cops, we're like talking like a cockney guy. <laughs> I'm like, I'm stealing fireworks. You know, like, it's like that. And and they didn't ask me to do that. <laughs> and I probably shouldn't have done that. But it, 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 I always try and think of things like that. Whereas you, I think, are much better at just kind of being Officer J. Oh, that's the other question. Do you think that Detective Jay Mayo is the same detective uh, or the same policeman as from Slingshot Cops? You just got promoted. So uh, I think we did talk about that while we were filming Her She Got Married. I think we talked about the idea of wouldn't it be weird if my character just bounced from movie to movie to movie? 
Um, it's not on. Well, the only wrinkle in that is that I didn't play a police officer in Metal Detector Maniac. So that means I'm if if we were to do a through line <laughs> yeah. for Motern projects, yeah. I'm going to have to have all of the jobs because uh, <laughs> well, you're Metal a locksmith at the Christmas. So yeah, I, I play uh, I play a locksmith and a pizza delivery guy in Metal Detector Maniac. So that means like I, I'm not unlike real life, I'm working 24 hours a day <laughs> at several different jobs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have played a police officer in a few different Motern projects. So uh, if we wanted to just continue doing, and again, I mean, if if they wanted to pair me up with Kevin McGee to do a spinoff. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. They could, I could just keep playing the same character over and over and over. I could keep getting promoted. At some point, I'm going to be the chief of police. We all know that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'd be okay with that. And I, I think we did at least mention it like, hey, it's funny that we keep making you, you know, police officer Mayo in these projects. Uh, isn't that funny? Wouldn't it be funny if we just keep doing that? Um, I don't know that they actually intended to do that. Well, if, if you if you think about it, you're a locksmith in the Christmas special and a locksmith in Metal Detector, so yeah. it could be the world of two Mayos. So one Mayo is a, a locksmith slash pizza delivery guy, like he's doing the odd jobs, and then the other Mayo, your brother or cousin or whatever, is the officer who is. It, it, if it's one person for all four projects, that's a little. That's a yeah, little. Listen, much. I'm okay with doing one of those movies where I'm playing three different characters, and it's just me, but just you know, a bunch of different characters. Um, if they want to do that, I'm okay with that. I'll play. I'll play like my own twin brother or something. Yeah, that's that fine. Would be great. Uh, you know, one one brother is a cop, and the other one is a uh, is a locksmith that may or may not be a weirdo. Yeah, I'm okay with that. As long as I get to keep the mustache, I'm okay with any any decision they make. Oh, so the mustache is contractually obligated. Absolutely. Yeah, I have insured it for several million dollars. <laughs> so you wouldn't you wouldn't do a film where you know you shot fifty percent of it with the mustache as Officer Mayo, shaved the mustache, and then shot fifty percent of the movie without the mustache. You're like, no, no, no. Both brothers have exactly the same mustache. It's in my contract. Yeah. First off, I, I would never deprive the world of this mustache. But also, uh, if we had to do reshoots, I'd be screwed. Like, you can't stick the mustache back on once it's off. So, right. you know, I'm not going to wear some sort of mustache wig or something. I'm not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> well, I mean, how long does it take? Like three or four days? How long does that, that beast take to come in? I mean, like more like six hours, but let's, let's, you know, I don't want to have to go through the process of growing this thing back out. I'm, I've, I've not shaped this mustache in, in a few years now, uh, maybe two or three years now, and I'm not getting rid of it anytime soon. No I can't, I, b- both characters need to have this mustache. <laughs> mustache. Yeah. This mustache. Well, I agree. I love the mustache and I feel like it should have its own uh, wardrobe, dressing room, uh, credit on the film. Uh, what, does your mustache have a name, Jay? No, it does. It does not have a name. Mustache, mustache, I suppose. Um, mustache. But yeah, I mean, if if we didn't even have a budget for wardrobe, we're certainly <laughs> not going to get me a personal mustache wrangler. So it would be great if we did. Yeah. But I don't. I don't think that's in the budget. So uh, who? Do you predominantly 
show these movies to? Who in your life is aware that you are in these films? Uh, who has watched them? Who is supportive and encouraging of it out of family and friends, girlfriends, whatever? Uh, it's mostly friends. My family could give a crap less about uh, any of these things that I do. It's just another of one of many silly projects that I'm doing, whether it's movies or music or podcasting or whatever it is. Um, they're like, oh, yeah, he does stuff. Who, who cares? Um, <laughs> we love you, you, Jay, but we have no time for everything you're doing. <laughs> right. If if it's not a Hollywood blockbuster, it doesn't register to them right. that it's it's a it's a quote unquote real movie. Um, so it's, it's mostly friends, which I, I'm OK with. Hey, I do this because I like doing it and I like spending time with friends and I enjoy the end result and I enjoy the process. So I'm I'm doing it for me, and I'm doing it to help out my friends and to spend time with them. So yeah, it's my friends that are mostly excited about it, and uh, that's good enough for me. I, it, it's really for me, if we're being completely honest. Have you shown your special lady friend the movies? Is she aware of? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, and <laughs> and <laughs> again, I think uh, I think she's like, oh yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, couldn't care less. Again, it. it I think it would be a lot more impressive if this was a Hollywood blockbuster. Yes. And when you tell people, oh, yeah, I've acted in a few movies, they assume Hollywood blockbuster. They don't assume independent movie that you can only get through a streaming service. They assume you, you were an extra in The Town or something, like some Ben Affleck movie that came in, Gone Baby Gone or something that came into Massachusetts. The, the Afflecks were the first that I went to with, with yeah. Massachusetts. So, but you're, you're absolutely right. When people hear like, Oh yeah, I filmed in Boston last year. They're like, Oh cool. W what did Matt Damon do? Yeah. Right. Nope. <laughs> nope. This isn't, this isn't that sometimes not every movie has a $40 million budget. Right. Some of them have an $11 budget. And I showed up on my free time, to act for free because that's just a thing I like doing with my friends. And, and like Charlie says, and and I don't know how we, I don't know how we get to this point, but we as internet consumers have said to ourselves, if someone makes something and sells it on Etsy, or if someone paints a picture and we like it and in Instagrams it and then sells it on Etsy, we're fine with that. We go, oh, independent artist, I want that on my wall, I want something different. I don't want to, I think it's probably because there aren't poster shops anymore. You can't go to a shop and buy, like, posters in the way that you could in the 80s and 90s. But even so, people are like, oh, I want that thing. And then I, when, I'm, when I'm having a dinner party, I want to tell people, this is a handcrafted, individually made, there's only 15 of them, whatever, Etsy pie. And people go, oh, yeah, individually made, whatever, right? Everyone gets excited by it. But tell them the same thing about music and movies, and for some reason they don't accept it. For that, no, music is something that is done by... 16 exploited 16 year olds uh who are lining simon cow's pocket and and movies are done by people who earn 40 million dollars every time they take a shit and that's 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 creativity and anything else we're not willing to even deal with and it's it's odd right it's odd because you don't go to uh you don't go to the person selling a bench they've made on etsy or whatever you don't go well, I didn't buy it in a furniture shop, so fuck you. Like you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely, and it, it's been like that since human existence, right? Like if you were, 
Uh, if you are a sculptor or a painter or something, we judge that on the individual painting or the individual sculpture that you have created. And we say, man, you're a very talented artist. And that goes on for forever, right? Michelangelo, we all know who Michelangelo is. Michelangelo wasn't creating hundreds of thousands of sculptures and paintings, individual things, right? right. And But when it comes to music or movies or and most of the media that we consume these days, it's how many millions of people have consumed this thing. And that determines how popular or quote unquote good something is. Yeah. If, if enough people haven't seen it yet, for whatever reason, because there's no budget or because there's no company backing it and promoting it, if, if not enough people have seen it, it's not, it's apparently not good enough right. as as deemed by society however if you if you were to make one beautiful sculpture that's all you need to do in your lifetime to be considered one of the greatest of all time right right i i so often with music these days you know because i was putting out albums and albums last year and this year earlier this year a lot of people i'm seeing on online the group of musicians i kind of became a community with on twitter a lot of them do one song and then just that one single that like you go to their Spotify account and there's one song there. Now that song might have 75,000 plays because all they've done is promote that song for, you know, eight months and paid to have it put on playlists and, you know, whatever it is. But, but it's one song. And I'm always like, wait, but even if that song became hugely popular, and some A&R person was like, great, let's get you in the studio. Do you have another 12 songs in your back pocket? Or are you going to be one of those people who spends three to four years making a fucking album and having to use a ton of writers because actually you had one song and all you did was promote that one song? But it's, so it's, it's, it's odd. But uh, likewise, I think the thing that we all love about the internet is also the problem with us as creatives, which is... We love the fact that everyone can create and be on the same platforms as everyone else, right? We love that my music, your music, whatever, can be on Bandcamp and Spotify in the same way as, you know, the Rolling Stones or whatever, right? We love that. We think that's great. The trouble is, is the flip side is also true. Because everyone can be on there, everyone is on there, right? So to some extent, it does reduce the... No one's no one as a consumer is going to go, well, I'm going to wade through 50 million songs on the off chance that I happen to find one that I like. They're going to sit there and go, I'm going to let the studios tell me what's coming out. And I'm going to listen to the top 50 bands or whatever it is that are releasing albums today. Um, so that so, so there is a little bit of that. So I do have empathy on the audience or sympathy for the audience. But then the other thing is also true. I have a ton of friends on Facebook and a ton of friends on Twitter, like friends, people I know in real life. This isn't just like, oh, I have followers. Like, I have 500 people on Facebook. I can tell you how I know each and every one of them, right? I can't even get 10 retweets or 10 shares or 10 likes or 10 comments or 10 anything. And and so even the people that supposedly, like, like you... Like they'll they'll go to bat for you. They'll be your best man at your wedding. They'll they'll you know get you out of a problem. They'll loan you money if you have no money. They'll feed you if you have no food. 
can they hit the share button? Nah, nah, they're not going to do that. <laughs> uh, it's because they don't value independent art as art. Because, you know, again, it's, it's consumer society. If, if Hollywood or the record company or whatever isn't telling them this is the thing, then they don't value that as art. It's not music. It's not a movie. It's not a painting. Whatever it is that you do, if someone isn't backing that, if it isn't a, a you know, if Amazon isn't saying buy this, then what's the reason? Why would I buy that? Right. Just because, you know, it might be the greatest thing in the world. You may have created the greatest thing in the world. Well, you, you might know have I written, have, Jay. You know I have, Well, obviously. <laughs> Everyone go to miscellaneousplumbingfixtures.com. Um, yeah. You may have created the, the most perfect song of all time, but because you're not signed by Columbia Records or whomever, it doesn't, it doesn't register to people that you're a band and you've written the perfect song. Right. Because you're promoting it and not some A&R guy at CBS. Right. But the flip is also true. Like, look what's happening right now with uh, Scarlett Johansson. Everyone is shitting on her for standing up for herself because they're like, you've got enough money. Like, get out of our way. But I'm like, right. But the reason why the industry exists the way it exists is because of you, the audience. Like, the reason why Disney can charge $30 to rent, not even to own, to rent a digital version of Black Widow for 48 hours on top of the $8 you're already paying for Disney+. Plus. The reason why they can do that is because of you, the audience. And the reason why they can say to Scarlett Johansson, you're not getting any of that money and we're fucking with your contract is because you, the audience, put Disney in that position. Stop putting Disney in that position. Stop fucking over Scarlett Joe because I don't care. She did a job. She had a contract. Pay her her fucking money. But beyond that, it's the same with it independent. You can't on one hand shit on the corporations, but then when someone says, here is an independent thing that I think there is value and worth, will you at least watch it for 10 minutes and make the same decree you would if Hulu put out a new show or Amazon? Like if Amazon put out a new show, you'd go, I'll watch it for 10 minutes. I'll see what it's about. Like I'll watch it for 10 minutes. I'll make my decision. Maybe I'll never go back. Maybe I will. But if you won't watch something for 10 minutes that a valued friend or a valued podcast or a valued whatever says is worth it, then I don't, I don't know how you're living. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I am urging everyone to watch the trailer of Heard She Got Married and fuck it, put $12 down because it's like a coffee and a Danish at this point is $12. Like a, a truck stop donut and some lukewarm piss in a cup is $12. At, the, at this precise moment. $12 is nothing. Go to Vimeo. Watch her. She's got married. Jay Mayo is the tits in the film. He's incredible. Uh, the mustache is a wonder to behold anyway. And Jay, it has been a pleasure talking to you today all about her. She got married. Thank you, John. It has been a pleasure on my end as well. And make sure you pick up the new album, Truck Stop Donut in Warm Piss by Miscellaneous Plumbing Fixtures. Check them out uh, everywhere you can stream music. And uh, please continue to support independent art. Uh, Truck Stop Donut and a Cup of Warm Piss, the new album.
truck stop donut and a cup of warm piss This is something I don't think I will miss When I wind up my life on the road And I stop having to carry my heavy load I will take the next few years Knowing this I don't have to have a truck stop donut And a cup of warm piss but maybe in the last few years of my life When I'm lying back somewhere at home With my second or third wife I will stop for a moment Maybe I will reminisce About a truck stop donut And a cup of lukewarm piss I was out on the blacktop For most of my days Cutting corners where I could Finding the best ways to get my cargo from A to B My boss once told me there was no one better than me But now I'm done with a farewell goodbye kiss I will leave behind the truck stop donuts And the endless cups of warm pills And maybe when I get old and gray When I've done all I ever wanted and before I take one last dance into the eternal abyss For old time's sake I want a truck stop donut and a cup of warm piss Things at first repel can one day define us We take them for granted, accept our fate and stop trying to resist it gets so you can go a day of your life without something Like a truck stop donut and a cup of warm piss And maybe in the last few years of my life When I'm lying back somewhere at home with my second or third wife I will stop for a moment and maybe I will reminisce about a truck stop donut and a cup of warm piss A cup of warm What if that was the song? What if I wrote a song, truck stop donut and a cup of warm piss, and I promoted it for eight months, I put a hundred bucks behind it every single month, and, and I just... That was the song, and everyone was like, this is my favorite song of all time. And then they were like, oh, wait, he has all these other albums? And then they listened to the albums, they were like, nope. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, this song was the one, but when they listened to the other albums, they were like, no, he's ruined it. It didn't well, have the spark of Truck Stop Donut and Cup of Warpings. It would be impossible for people to say nope after hearing... Uh, the, the the vast back catalog that is miscellaneous plumbing fixtures. There's too many gems within the back catalog for people to not find something that they like. That's that that I hope that is true. But uh, I will work on that album. <laughs> what if I did it? What if next Friday you got a Bandcamp message that was just like miscellaneous plumbing fixtures has released a ten track album <laughs> called Trucks and a cup of warm piss, and it was just. It was like just awful, <laughs> but I did it. Like I, I somehow did it.
I would appreciate it. And I think the the other people that were to get that message through Bandcamp would be like, I'm going to check it out. I don't, I don't know what the hell this is, but I'll check it out. And then they heard it and they were like, oh, there's, I should probably call John. I think something's wrong. He seems very upset. He there's seems, something. Seems something's sad. up. <laughs> but thank you for this time today, sir. Sure, it has been my pleasure, and congratulations on 10 years of the podcast, and thank you for uh, for helping to promote this movie. I appreciate it. Uh, listen, anything I can do. I mean, I, you know, we, we, we don't get the listeners we used to when everyone was riding on commuter trains, but uh, we get enough. We, we, get a, we, we get enough listeners that, that hopefully, and, and it's the 10th anniversary show. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, yes, as it is the 10th anniversary show, and uh, we're about halfway through the episode right right now. It's a long one, folks. Uh, I thought about splitting it into two parts, and I just thought, no, you have pause buttons. If it's too long and you need to listen to it in multiple parts, do it yourself. You're an adult. Hit the pause button, and then go, oh, I wonder what else is happening on the After Movie Diner a few days later, and then go back and press play again. I mean, do I really have to do everything? Do I really have to break this out into four episodes or two episodes or whatever? No, it's one episode. Deal with it. Use your pause button. Goodness me. Anyway, uh, (laughs) as we're here uh, at this point, I thought, why not um, uh, read out a couple of 10th anniversary messages uh, that we got from the listening many's? Um, And first, out of the mailbag. Well, we should have the mailbag jingle, shouldn't we? Because for 10 years... Uh, we've had a mailbag jingle, so let's play the mailbag jingle now. Here comes the postman, I wonder what he has for me. Is there something in his big brown sack, I wonder what could it be. Well, I hope the bills it lacks and instead brings me some list of feedback. Or maybe, just maybe, a big bag of crack. Oh, here comes the postman, I wonder what he has for me. All right, so first up out of our big hearty sack, uh, it's Matt Poirier from, uh, I don't know if that's how you say your name. Sorry, Matt. Matt, <laughs> Matt Poirier. Matt Poirier from the direct-to-video connoisseur, uh, who is um, a dear friend and has a wonderful podcast of his own, direct-to-video connoisseur as well as has just written uh, his second novel, not just one novel, ladies and gentlemen, but but two novels from this gentleman, uh, Mr. Poirier, uh, Matthew Poirier. Uh, he has written a second novel uh, called uh, The Girl and a Gun. Uh, it's available on Amazon right now. The link will be uh, on After Movie Diner in the podcast notes um, but it's well worth purchasing. Um, his first novel, Chad in Accounting, is a riveting and hearty and funny read. I can strongly, strongly, strongly recommend it. 
and the follow-up I assume is much of the same. I can't wait to get stuck into that. Uh, it just landed on my mat the other day. Anyway, he writes, congratulations on 10 years of the AMD. Beyond the great time I had as a guest to talk about Albert Pien. Albert Pien. I love tuning in when I see a new AMD episode in my feed to hear what you've cooked up. The music, the mini sketches to open the show, and the trademark guest introductions are all great on their own. Uh, I should just do those then and then not even bother doing the rest of the show. Um, he doesn't say that. I said that. Anyway, he goes, let alone the fun conversations on movies. Oh, he likes those as well. Have been a nice staple over the past decade. Whether it's the New Year's Eve episode or you and Jim slogging out a cheap self-indulgent... <clears throat> A cheap, self-indulgent 90s neo-noir for sleazy spade of springtime. I know it'll always be entertaining. I wish you all the best and another 10 years and beyond and a hearty hobo butt flute salute to you, good sir. Matt Poirier from Director Video Connoisseur. Everyone check out his podcast, follow him on the socials and buy his new book, uh, The Girl and the Gun um, or A Girl and the Gun. I think it's the girl and the gun. I should really have it in front of me. Uh, it's over there on the bookshelf, though. Well, never mind. You'll find it. Uh, it's phenomenal. Um, and thanks, Matt, for your message. Next into, uh, well, next out of our sack, um, it is the wonderful John Wallace, uh, who's been my friend uh, low these 35 years um, this year. Wow. Uh, I've known the Wallace family 35 years. This is uh, John Wallace. Uh, he is Jim's younger brother and my uh, dear old best chum. And he uh, was on a lot of the early episodes. He did uh, the Woods and Weller series with me, um, the Kane and Keaton series. Uh, and hopefully we'll have him back on soon um, as we do a kind of hopefully celebratory kind of run through all our old uh, co-hosts, which is what I intend to do, which will be fun. Anyway, he writes, The diner is ten. Hell's teeth. What can be said about this? Well, the first and most striking thing is that my marriage is also a decade old this year, and that both my marriage and the diner have been crucial elements in holding up the fragile edifice of my sanity, particularly during the last five years, when Western civilization experienced a massive stroke, shat itself, and took to wandering the world in a lopsided blonde fright wig, swigging toxic homebrew and yelling at passing traffic. During this time, the diner has been a beam of light, as all great art should be. Much as Picasso had his blue and rose periods, so the diner had its movie pass and sheddest periods. Much as Picasso was painter, sculptor, and ceramicist, the diner shifts effortlessly between chit-chat interview and comic monologue. Much as our Pablo had a string of mistresses, so the diner seduced Jim, Dr. Action, Mayo, Damas, Moe, and many more. And just as the founder of Cubism left behind a body of beautiful portraiture, so the diners left us with the immortal images of Weller, Greer, Spader, Idol, Campbell, and the other defining luminaries of our time. Frankly, when the alien archaeologists come to pick over the ruins of our civilization, I would rather have them discover the diner archives than any Picasso work you care to mention. Seriously now, listening to Jim and Cross chuckle and bicker over nothing at all would provide the best possible notion of what human friendship is, how pleasantly time can pass discussing nothing at all, and just how hard it was in the early 21st century uh, New York diners to get milk served with one's tea. Much love from an ardent supporter, John. Well, thank you for uh, that message, sir. Um, absolutely fantastic to hear from you. 
And uh, as anyone who has listened low these many years, John Wallace himself is also uh, an accomplished author, and his uh, science fiction trilogy of books is available right now uh, on the Amazons. Um, and uh, so I would strongly suggest that you look up John Wallace, author, on Amazon and pick up uh, Steeple or Rig or Barricade, any of the three uh, wonderful uh, sci-fi novels that he has written. Um, it would be fantastic. I tell you what, there is nothing better than holding in your hand um, the, the, the smooth and uh, uh, pleasing uh, cover of a book that a friend of yours has written um, or the shiny case of a CD that a friend of yours has recorded or, you know, the, uh, uh, the digital file um, caressed in your inbox of a film um, that your friends have made, much like the one we're discussing on this podcast, Heard She Got Married by Matt Farley and Charlie Roxburgh, available now on Vimeo for the uh, very reasonable price of $12. And while you are delving into your wallets to spend money on independent creativity, why don't you support the After Movie Diner by going over to aftermoviediner.com and donating straight to us or buying us a coffee using the buttons available uh, on the homepage, uh, or go over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash After Movie Diner and become a paid subscriber. Um, every little helps. A dollar an episode. Uh, you know, I put one out every three months, so... You know, how much is that going to cost you, really? Go on, go do it. Anyway, more messages later. Okay, so now we are back with more interviews about Heard She Got Married, this time with actor, 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 tall person, bassist extraordinaire, uh, lyricist, songwriter, and just all-round family guy, wonderful chap, uh, sports fan, possibly... I assume, I don't know. Uh, I don't know much about the guy, but we're about to find out. Um, It is the uh, wonderful and uh, splendid and first-time guest here on the After Movie Diner. It's none other than Chris Pete Peterson. So this is a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Yeah, it's fantastic to finally get you on the show. Um, To have you and Sharon, I feel like you guys are the uh, missing piece of the... um, Charlie Farley, Shark Marathon's uh, Motown Media filmmaking empire that we haven't had on the show yet. Um, All right. So, so this is the first time, and I think what a what a, a great film, and what an auspicious time to have you uh, on the show. Your first time on the show because heard she got married. It's such a culmination of so many things that anyone who's been following um, either Matt's career or Charlie's career in the last whatever it is now, a decade uh, of them kind of putting out movies and making them more public. I know they've been making movies a lot longer, but sort of since Freaky Farley onwards, um, that they've been kind of publicly putting movies out. And I think Matt's been doing the podcast about eight years, I think, six, maybe seven or eight years. Um, mm-hmm. So anyone who's been following that career um, knows you guys. But why don't you tell us um, how you first, because I understand you also went out to L.A., how you first got interested in film and how you first got uh, involved in acting in uh, in any regard, or but also in Matt's films. Yeah, so um, I went to high school with Matt, and uh, we we uh, see my senior year in high school, Matt had already been ma- making movies with his his buddies, 
And, um, and I wanted in cause I, you know, it just looked like a, a barrel of laughs and, and a lot of fun. So, so I, uh, kind of inserted myself in that world and, um, and started working on some movies with Matt and, um, and that's kind of like, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed. And then it coincided with, um, you know, my freshman year in college where I didn't really have a direction to go in. And one of the things I was looking at was how much I enjoyed filmmaking. And, um, and so that's kind of the direction I started steering in. So really Matt Farley is, is a hundred percent the reason why I got into film, uh, in the first place. And so we ended up making movies. We, we would make like these silly movies on our summer va- vacations, uh, in, in high school and college. And so, um, and so that was kind of the catalyst. And then, I would act in those and we would, we would kind of write and and we didn't really have a script. So we would just ad lib scenes. We kind of knew what we wanted in each scene and we would ad lib it. And it was really just an, an excuse to experiment with the camera and make like gory, uh, you know, bloody scenes and just kind of like make heads explode and, you know, various ways to kill people, which is always a lot of fun. Um, but then, uh, I actually chose that as a, as a major and, um, I, I moved to LA naturally after that to, uh, to pursue that career. And so I was out there for 11 years doing this and that and other things, but pretty much a little bit of everything, but not acting. And it wasn't until, um, I moved back here that, uh, Matt was still, had been making movies all this time. He'd made Freaky Farley, um, and uh adventures in Cuban country and uh the manch vegas movie and so finally um i was able to have a small role in don't let the river be sketch you and so that was kind of my real introduction back into the moturn world or into the moturn world where i was actually working with charlie for the first time and um really got to see them um and uh see them work as a team and and like they're like a dynamic duo the both of them so that was really kind of my stepping back into the moturn world and a brief history of my time before that nice and i know that charlie was out in la for a while did you guys ever cross paths out there or was it were you there prior to him uh i don't know when charlie went out there i knew he was out there because i was interested in, in in doing a documentary with matt uh, about him and um his music but uh uh i never met charlie out there and we never really um corresponded unless it was through matt like matt was always the go go-to person but um but yeah yeah i didn't i never ran into him at least to my knowledge yeah i've got a feeling he was still out there during local legends because i think his scene in local legends was filmed you know, in Los Angeles, and he sent the clip to Matt. I think. So I yeah, think he was out there. He was out there um, um, past when I came back. So, and uh, but do you have any? Um, do you have any interesting stories from your time in LA? Uh, anything that uh, dreams fulfilled or dreams dashed, or uh, was it the experience you expected it to be? Was it the experience you wanted it to be? Yeah. I mean, I loved it. I fell into a great job. Um, so I was, I started at Fox searchlight and I, I worked there for a while and then I wanted to be, um, 
you know, on some movie productions to get some experience. So I worked on uh, a job in New York City called Brown Sugar. Um, that was a movie with Tay Diggs and Sanaa Lathan. It was the first movie actually after 9-11 to, to start filming in New York. So it was wow. a real cool experience to be there at that time. Um, and then um, I kind of bounced between film and TV production. Um, and I fell into reality TV, which I ended up liking a lot more than anything else because it uh, I worked on like uh, Top Gear USA and um, Shaq Versus and like just kind of like they're fun shows. But uh, what I like about them is that they move really fast. Uh, reality TV moves really fast. And so you go from idea to production really quickly. Whereas in movies, in the, in the film industry, it takes years and years to write, get a, a movie made from writing the script and, and getting the talent attached and getting the money attached and filming it and editing it, releasing it. So uh, reality TV was almost like making movies with Matt. It was like quick running gun, um, get, this, get the shot and get out of there and move on. And so I really enjoyed my time with uh, reality TV, but ultimately um, LA, I love it, LA, but uh, to be out there with a wife and a small child, it's not the best. It's great when you're, you know, single and you got no attachments and you're, you're just, you know, you can work all day and give all your time to whatever, but when you need health insurance and, uh, and, you know, you need to, to spend time with your kid, it's, it gets a little, uh, you know, crazy. So. That, yeah, that that's one sense. of the reasons why I came back. But it, it uh, I'm glad you said what you said about like working with Matt because I was going to, I was going to transition and say, yeah, it, it, the, the faster pace and the more, um, kind of immediate gratification. I mean, I know the Matt stuff; they still edit it for a while, and it's still a few months. But you're not waiting years to see the end result. You you sort of see it right. within the same and calendar year, and it's a much right. Quicker. And that's what you get. That's what you get with with independent filmmaking. Is uh, you, things move a lot faster than than in a studio environment. And I, yeah. I got studio experience, and I found out the hard way how long things take. And you know, you w work years on a project, and it ends up being the chipmunks three, you know, and it, it's just uh, <laughs> right. it becomes a really sad experience. So. Well, it's, I think that's why, you know, funny enough, I did, I went to college to do film and, uh, you know, have a 101 film ideas, but even film was too, even independent film was too slow for me. So one of the reasons why I transition and, and I do a lot of music or I do podcasting is uh, the instant, uh, kind of creativity of it the fact that you can literally start the morning with an idea and end the evening with uh you know a finished song or a finished show or a finished you know and you can do it you don't have to rely on anyone else you can kind of do it all yourself and right. um the, there's there's something about that i think it's probably to do with the fact I I should probably have tried to make my attention span longer but uh, <laughs> it'd probably be yeah. less yeah. for gratification immediately but there's something to be said for the turnaround, um, um, which is pleasing in its own way. Um, so you've, uh, as you were explaining, you've worked on sort of every Matt uh, and, and Charlie film production since Don't Let the River Beast Get You, um, with uh, Heard She Got Married being your fourth role. Um, and uh, I feel like each... 
Well, Local Legends and Heard She Got Married, there's been a lot of comparison between the two films, I think, because of the, the black and white, but also because Heard She Got Married, from the creative side of it, or the creative story that Matt's telling, not necessarily the thriller story, but the creative story feels um, like the dark half of the upbeat local legends, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, yeah, I get that. So, like, on one, local legends, it's all about him sort of as a musician being chipper no matter what. Even if it's just a show in a basement, he's going to figure out how to be positive and upbeat about it. But Heard She Got Married is about everything not going the way that he wants it as a creative person uh, and uh, and him sort of having that uh, leaning into the somewhat uh, sometime bitter kind of response to to uh, the lack of fame or the lack of uh, recognition or the lack of whatever I think, um, and that's what I loved about it. Sort of uh, sides, but and they and they're the two largest sort of roles you've had in in um, the Motown world. Um, so talk about talk briefly about bringing uh, soup in local legends uh, to life and and how you felt about that role. And then um, moving over to Van Hickman and Heard She Got Married. Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, well, Local Legends, I think, is based a, a lot more in in, uh, in reality uh, as opposed to, like, the, the kind of dialogue that, you, that, that you, you get from Don't Let the River Beast Get You and whatnot. So I yeah. think the way people talk, I think, is a lot more um, natural and... And so I think that lends itself to a little more realism. And so I think that's really where those, those two films are um, the same as, is like the realistic approach almost to, to, you know, I know Matt, there's some definitely fantastical scenes in, in, um, in local legends, but I think that um, at least as far as my scenes go, my character soup was just, um, kind of just a um a sidekick guy who um you know has some fun ideas and and moves the plot along but i think that as far as how um local uh, as far as um hurt you got married works uh that that realism is is there but then there's the all those dark undertones and and it it kind of um is highlighted with the black and white to uh to kind of make a much more somber feel to to everything to every scene and was there more was there any or more improvisation in in local legends um or did i I mean obviously matt wrote a script there um i remember but um there was also room in the script to kind of come up with your own bits Uh, did you and matt kind of workshop your scenes in that or was it was it all on the page it was all on the page. Um, Matt knew what he, and that's one thing, like there's not, I don't think there's at least in my experience with, with Matt and with Matt and Charlie, uh, there isn't a whole lot of um, experimentation. Like Matt knows what he wants and Charlie knows what he wants. And so it's, it's on there in the paper. And once you start trying to veer away from veering away from that, they'll rein you in a little bit. And so, um, that's kind of one thing I've learned is, is, you know, I'm there to fulfill their vision. And, uh, um, so with, with Hurt You Got Married, uh, I mean, with local legends too, I, there was very little improvisation. Um, really any improvisation is, 
the only improvisation I really had was with my costume and with um, my facial expressions. I mean, kind of the way I chose to, or, or the way I chose to say the lines, but I'm still saying what they wrote. So it's really, a, a, um, it, it's, it's all on them. Like it's all, it's, you know, they deserve all the praise for, for everything that, that they wrote. And, and, you know, I just had the privilege of saying it, saying it. Yeah, I think with the performers in the basement, um, I think, because I was just one of those guys, it was the first time I'd met Matt. Um, I think we wrote our own bits, like we wrote our own jokes. Yeah. Uh, but the scene where I'm chatting to Matt before the show, that was all written down. So I think that's the only kind of improv I've ever done. I mean, maybe the maybe on the Christmas special there was a little bit, but uh, but yes, like you say, most of it is very closely scripted. Um, and in Heard, Heard She Got Married, it, it's sort of um, perfect because I feel like in Don't Let the River Beast Get You and Slingshot Cops, um, not that you're the, you're never the villain, but there is a, you, you, uh, there is sort of a, a bad or sometimes sleazy <laughs> aspect to your um, characters in those films, which Heard She Got Married kind of subverts perfectly. Um, were you... Did you bring the, uh, uh, I guess what I'm asking, did you play Van Hickman uh, as suspicious or did you just play Van Hickman naturally and it comes off as suspicious because of the script? Uh, I tried to play him like, um, I tried to play him as saying those lines that they wrote. So I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have much, um, um, leeway to experiment with lines i i played it as sincere as i could so i tried everything i did i tried to be as sincere as possible with what i was saying and to really think about um to think about the lines as not just lines like i tried to internalize it a lot and and kind of make what i was saying really matter to me as a character and so i think that it, it I tried to give everything I said gravity and um, uh, and some of those things that I say in there are kind of crazy. So, um, you know, talking about homemade hot dogs and that sort of thing. But uh, I just um, so I think by by giving everything gravity and some of those crazier lines I had, you know, made me come off crazy. And, and that's good. I think that's a good thing. But really, I just I tried to believe that this Van Hickman guy um, just uh, meant every word he said. And as Matt's films were your introduction to acting in that regard, I mean, I don't know, did you do acting in high school or college or anything like that outside of Matt's films on, on stage uh, or anything I like did that? Like a, a senior high school play, but uh, I had like two lines, so I can't really say that that was acting. Um, and, uh, you know, I made, I made a, a few films in college and a few short films in uh, outside of college, but, um, you know, I, I can't say that I ever, um, I really can't say I acted, um, that was not like part of anything I wanted to do in LA. So, uh, it, yeah. And it, it's really just with Matt that I've, I've ever done any sort of, um, screen time. 
But uh, aside from the acting, you're also uh, a musician, and you, you've been in Matt's Matt's band and various Matt, bands with Matt for for a while now. I feel like in music, uh, certainly with my own journey, you can tell when you're getting better. You can kind of step back and look at the last ten years of recordings you've done or ten years of of music that you've produced, and kind of go, okay, I started from here and I I got to here. And while yes, they're the same person. I can tell that my whether it's the playing or whether it's the writing or whether it's the performance aspect of it, uh, I can kind of see my trajectory. Can you look at the performances you've done, um, you know, over the last uh, nine or ten years, and and see a progression? Are you are you happy with how you're developing as an actor? Um, are there things that you'd still like to challenge yourself with? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I really noticed. I, I felt I'm really proud of Hurt You Got Married. And I think that that's, uh, um, it's a great uh, film. It's a really great you. film. So, you know, if I were to pick a, a moment in time that, you know, where I feel like I've progressed, I think maybe it's this movie. Um, and, uh, as far as, as taking things further, I mean, I'd, I'd love, to, you know, Matt has an aggressive, um, film slate ahead of him. And yes, so, indeed. So, um, you know, as long as I can just be a part of all of that, you know, and, and uh, contribute where I can. But, you know, um, I, it's exciting to, to you know, um, to be a part of a, a, a team like this and um, and uh, to, to continue to, to make these types of movies. It's just a, it's it's a fun time. Definitely. Uh, I, I mean, I, I love it. I love it both as a as a fan um, and and the the small little bits I get to come and perform, I, lo- I love both things. It reminds me very much of my college days when I had a very uh, concentrated group of friends around who all wanted to kind of roll up their sleeves and do stuff. And I think the sad thing about uh, adulthood is, especially when you move to another country like I did, uh, you you uh, end up not having that. Uh, and so the fact that Matt, Charlie, uh, yourself, Sharon, um, Tom, and so on have that and continue to have that it's it's a very enviable thing and the fact that then matt and charlie open their arms or cast their net wider and bring in uh you know some of us uh, little local legends or whatever ourselves um that is a an absolute joy uh one of the the people who gets a lot of shout out from her she got married is of course Jay Mayo, who's who's someone who's uh, along with myself, kind of ended up being in uh, Farley and Charlie films, and uh, just t- does yeah. a really great turn. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think in the mustache, film. His mustache deserves its own uh, credit in the film. I think Com- completely, yeah, completely. His mustache is is legendary unto itself. But and I don't think you guys really get uh, much of a scene together in the film. But um, were you on set any days when he was working? Could you see? Uh, him pulling out all the stops in his performance. You know, I think we we just missed each other most of the time. Um, um, and he's a hard worker on the set and and behind the in front of the camera as well. So, you know, he's um, you know when he shows up to set, he's he's there to like work as a grip or a dog wrangler and and whatever is needed at any any particular time. So, uh, I've worked with Jay uh, quite a few times, and I, he's he's amazing. And uh, he gives a great performance in the movie. But I think our shooting days were somewhat, um, uh, were on different days or whatnot. So I don't think I saw him 
maybe I saw him once, but uh, um, yeah, but yeah, he's he's a he's a wonder. He's great. But I think the reason I just want to say that you know the uh, the Matt is casting a wide net. It's great, and and uh, for for actors and and for his troop of of people to be in his movies. The only reason I got this role, I think, such a good role, is because I lived ten minutes away from him. I think whoever had lived closer would probably have had the Van Hickman role, and uh, and would have done a a great job at it, at it as well. But. Um, just because I'm so close, I think, you know, he could, he could pull me aside and, and we could film a few scenes or whatever, um, on a, on a night after work. So, I mean, I, you, you say that, and that might be a, uh, might be true, or it might be a hint of self-depreciation, but I, anyone who's watched the film will, will, uh, completely understand why, why you have the role you do. You are fantastic in it. And in terms of like playing it with that earnest, um, and, and sincere, uh, mode, the the scene that that struck me when you when you said that earlier is the scene where you have to back Matt up um, by the by the Mo seventy five rock um, and you have to back him up and against his former bandmate um, and that's a scene that could have come off as uh, I think goofy or childish or just because it's it's odd to have grown men kind of supporting each other in that way do you know what i mean it's more of a high schooly kind of thing but the yeah. way you guys played it um and the way you played it in particular you actually do bring that kind of gravity to that scene and that seriousness to that scene and it's a wonderful double line because on one hand you know there's an earnest earnestness there and a, and a sincerity there but on the other hand you're like wow, he's really being overly protective of Matt. Like, what's his ulterior motive? And it's a great line that the script walks the whole movie. Um, yeah. And your performance really sells that. Thank you. Um, so that was that was a, a fantastic scene that you're in. And also, I think just from listening to Matt's podcast over the years um, and getting to know Matt personally a little bit, uh, yes, he has this big group. Yes, he has this wide net. But I also feel like his life is sort of um, divided into double acts. And uh, whether it's him and Charlie, whether it's him and Tom, uh, him and Elizabeth, obviously, and then you and uh, you and Matt, uh, because you've probably guested on his podcast the most at this point, and um, you you obviously play uh, as bass a pivotal uh, sideman role to, to Matt's music. So. Um, yeah, de ne definitely never sell yourself short just for living, living around the corner. You're, uh, as far as us fans and listeners and friends are concerned, then, uh, you know, you're, you're up there. You're one of the double acts that define Matt's life, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. No, it, it's exciting. Cause I don't think any, it, it, it's funny. Is like, none of us, none of us in that circle would be probably doing any of this without Matt. You know, it's, it's, uh, he's a driving force for, uh, motivating, and uh and getting people to kind of get off their butts and do things and so uh yeah it's a tribute to him really well uh i can't wait to see uh the future films i'm apparently in the next couple of them um i'm gonna finally I'm sure. be able to i'm gonna finally be able to drive come october so that means that i'll be actually able to be on hand um to do a bit of a j and help behind the scenes and hold things and carry things and uh, uh do whatever is required so that's exciting 
I've lived in cities so long I haven't needed to drive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the 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 biggest thing for me has always just been, like I said, I, I used to do movies at, at university. I made an independent film with a, a whole ton of my university friends. Um I then spent my 20s vowing I would do it again and never did it again. And then I moved out to the States and through kind of two little pockets of three little pockets of I count um, uh, my friends out in Pittsburgh, but um, three little pockets of like independent groups of filmmakers, one in Pittsburgh, one is one in Baltimore, the Don Dola, uh, uh, Joe Ripple group, which actually led me to, to Matt and Charlie. And then with Matt and Charlie, I've sort of been able to uh, fulfill a few of those little th dreams uh, that I had as a teen uh, in the independent world in America. And I'm not looking for anything bigger or better than that. To me, being able to cross off um, certain things off the list has just been a thrill. So I'll take whatever scraps they throw me. Oh, <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll show up and say my one line and uh, run away uh, foolishly like I did in Slingshot Cup. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That was a great role, by the way. Yeah, well, I like it if they if they let me do accents. Uh, that's when I'm really at my happiest. Um, I remember I showed up to uh, Metal Detector Maniac with a whole idea because I'm playing this old professor guy. I was like, "Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that." Matt was just like, "Could could you just your your regular voice is fine. Just read." read the um, but no, in, in Slingshot Cops, because it was such a small role and it, it just starts the movie off, I was able to kind of go a bit wilder with that. But um, Metal Detector Maniac, I think the maddest thing I did was uh, stick my hair up. I think I gelled my hair up uh, and made a few silly yeah. faces. But outside of that, I think I play it. I mean, I definitely play it like an old professor, but but I don't um, I didn't go too crazy with the accent. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I had more lines that time, but who knows? Yeah. Well, that, that movie, I'm in that movie as well. And, and yes. I didn't shoot my scenes until just recently. So some of those scenes are like, you know, you're talking to one person and it's, um, it's like, you know, the, by the end of the scene, you're, you're looking at me and it's two years later. So it's just the time gap between filming some of those scenes is going to be crazy to see. It's, yeah. I uh, think the, the big chunk, the big chunk that I did with, um, I think Kyle was in our scene, uh, um, Seth Odalong Green on Twitter, he was in our scene. Uh, my podcast co-host Jim Wallace was in the scene and a couple of others. Um, I think that scene is kind of being broken up throughout the yeah. film, but we filmed it all in one day. Um, but what's going to be funny is watching Matt and Tom, especially Matt, but probably Matt and Tom's hair kind of do this Throughout, right. the, throughout the film because yeah. I know that it was filmed because of the pandemic. It was sort of filmed over the course of, I think, 18 months on and off. So thank you for all that you do, Chris. Thank you for uh, being on the show today. And uh, and if there's anything else you want to share or promote or tell people to follow you or anything like that, please go ahead. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a blast. Um, yeah, the only thing I got going on is the, the Moturn extravaganza. And and yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. Well, that's fantastic, sir. And uh, can't wait to see you again in person soon, I hope. Uh, take care. All the best to your family. Stay safe, stay well, stay healthy, and all those good things. All right, you too. Thanks. Hey, John. Carlin Trammell from Nerd Lunch here. I wanted to reach out and congratulate you on reaching that 10-year milestone for the After Movie Diner podcast. By my calculations, that means you started your podcast just a couple months before Nerd Lunch launched ours, and you lasted almost two years after we quit. 
Now, it's not a competition, but if it were a competition, you win. I remember first learning of you when you were a guest on the Schlock Treatment Podcast. Oh, I miss those guys. And when I heard you, my first thought was, wow, we have to get this guy to be a guest on our show, too. And you were a guest on our show eight times, the first being a big discussion on James Bond. You and I saw eye to eye on License to Kill. We're a couple of the rare fans of the Dalton uh, action extravaganza that is that film. But we couldn't quite agree on Daniel Craig. But, you know, even in disagreement, we could have reasonable discourse and respect for each other. One of the great things I love about the relationship uh, that, that Nerd Lunch and the After Movie Diner had. You were also a witness in one of our classic episodes, The Trial of Zack Snyder, or as you call him, Hack Snyder. And... One of the most memorable episodes you were a guest on for our show was the Sci-Fi Pitchnado, where we concocted this low-budget film for Sci-Fi Channel that featured like a whole bunch of has-been actors like Judd Nelson and Judge Reinhold, and then we transformed the Electric Light Orchestra into the Steampunk Light Orchestra. It was amazing. And it was made amazing because of your contributions. And then Pax from our show and I had the opportunity to travel through time on your show as guests. And we joined you for a couple of discussions, once about Back to the Future and another time about the Bill and Ted movies. I love the After Movie Diner podcast. There is no other podcast like it that I've ever heard. I appreciate the efforts to make the show more than just your standard nerds on the internet movie podcast. Your combination of original written material and music and then deep discussions put your show in a caliber that, quite frankly, the internet is not worthy of. What I value most of all, though, is the community we were able to build through podcasting that eventually manifested itself into getting the opportunity to spend a day with you back in 2018. My wife and I were visiting New York City, and you graciously graciously spent several hours baking in the hot city sun to walk around with us and even take us to a few diners. So, John, congrats on reaching that 10-year mark. Best of luck to you as you continue on your podcasting journey for many years ahead. Hey, John, it's Kurt Howie just calling to say congratulations on 10 years at the After Movie Diner, bringing fans and and, and uh, what, what else? Uh, this message is already becoming an awkward message because it's what I specialize in. It's awkwardness. What was I going to say? Community fans all together. Um, <laughs> sorry, this is the worst congratulation message ever, but I just want to say sincerely, um, one of my most cherished memories will probably always be uh, discussing He-Man and the Masters of the Universe after we went to see that in a theater in New York City, and we sat in a diner having a loud, probably obnoxious to the other patrons of the diner, conversation about um, Pig Boy. That'll always be a magical moment to me, so... Congrats, and here's hoping you get many more years of doing what you're doing. Keep at it. All right, so it turns out that uh, picking around the bottom of the mailbag, we still had a couple more messages. Robert Long, Robert Long from Baltimore, one of my Baltimore peeps. What up, my Baltimore peeps? Robert Long, uh, he wrote, Dear John, 
Happy 10th anniversary to the After Movie Diner. 10 years, wow, hundreds of podcasts plus music and videos and everything else under the sun. And you got married to a tremendous woman. How do you do it all? Thank you for all the quality content you've produced in the last decade. So many laughs and so much passion has been put forth from your variety of entertainment outlets. So happy to call myself a fan and a friend. You, of course, earn mega big points with me for being a genuine fan of Don Dola's films. I remember being worried, as I usually do, that you would end up panning and making fun of his efforts. I was pleasantly surprised about your unironic enthusiasm for what Don did in his lifetime. I'm looking forward to your review of Crawler and hope to do a premiere of it in the future. Long live the New York Dolarites. It was my pleasure to guest host on the diner and hope to again in the future, all of us in the Baltimore area. Hope to have you and Kim visit us again. You are a fan of us and we are a fan of you. Cheers to the After Movie Diner, Robert Long. Well, Rob, thank you so much, sir. Uh, what a sweet message. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I feel like Baltimore is one of the uh, spiritual indie filmmaking havens of the United States. And I hope to make many more visits uh, to that fair area of Maryland uh, in the future. Um, lots of plans for various different things. And who knows, maybe we'll all share a scene on camera in some way in the future as well. If I ever get around to finishing a screenplay, I have many ideas. But thank you ever so much for writing in. Thank you ever so much for always supporting the After Movie Diner. And everyone who is a fan of indie filmmaking in general, uh, do check out Robert's website, smashortrashindiefilmmaking.com. That's smashortrashindiefilmmaking.com, spelt exactly like it sounds. Uh, lots of great reviews, interviews, commentary, and all sorts of stuff on that website. Uh, specifically and mainly around the kind of Baltimore, Maryland area, um, but also further afield as well. Um, Robert is also an accomplished artist uh, and just a fantastic gentleman. So thanks again, Robert, for your message and your very kind words. And one of the last uh, 10th anniversary congratulatory emails we got was from longtime listener and messenger on the Facebook page and the Facebook group, uh, Rahatul Alam, who writes, uh, congrats on keeping the podcast going. The first episode I heard was The Marine way back in high school. Then I became a big fan, listening to every review while dining. Sometime I would go to a buffet just to eat, just to hear your review. You are unique in that I haven't heard a podcast eat at a diner and talk about movies, and hopefully that aspect can come back. But I loved hearing stories and movie reviews of yours, as well as the Doctor Action and Kick-Ass Kids show, which was a great addition as well. I never knew about PM Entertainment or action movie stars like Jeff Speakman or Michael Duda and many others and that made me laugh a lot hopefully one day you can make more with doc and maybe put it in the same feed but thank you for the years of just being there when we needed it it helped me get through rough times and most of all had fun listening to it and i hope you do more for years to come well uh, thank you ever so much Rahatul. that's uh, a fantastically sweet message of yours and i'm so glad uh, that you stuck with us um i don't know about any more doctor actions uh, let's see um, I never say never. Uh, we could bring that back for a bit. I brought Crosstalk back for a bit, so you never know. Um, but uh, we will definitely have Doc back on the podcast, and we will definitely talk action movie stuff again in the future. Um, again, same with going back and eating in a diner and talking about movies. Uh, it just isn't on the cards right now. Um, I've actually moved out of the city. Uh, so, um, But again, never say never. Uh, the chances are that sort of 
once every couple of months, I'll go back and visit Jim uh, in New York once the world is a little safer to do that kind of thing. Uh, and when people are actually taking this pandemic seriously, um, when that actually happens, uh, <laughs> when I actually feel like that's happening in the world, um, then yeah, definitely I'll go back to New York and uh, do some more diner episodes. Why not? Um, I think going forward, if the after movie diner continues, as I've sort of hinted at throughout this episode, um, it will most likely be um, episodes where I sort of revolve the guest host and do some live shows and some Skype shows or Zoom shows or whatever, and, and, and sort of just talk about a wide range of things again, a wide array of things again. Um, much sort of go back to how the podcast was when it first kind of started. I know everyone loved the In Diner episodes, and, and I do too. And uh, there's nothing I miss more about New York than going out with Jim on a Thursday night, uh, watching a movie and then, and then talking about it in a diner. But uh, it's just not on the cards right now, unfortunately, because um, the way the world is. So we hope we keep our fingers crossed. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully everyone does what's right and the world gets a little safer again. Um, so we'll wait and see on that one. But thank you ever so much for everyone's messages. Um, thank you, uh, the two voicemails you heard from Colin Trammell and uh, Kirk Halley. Hopefully get them back on the show again. That'd be great. And um, if nothing else, let's keep the After Movie Diner community alive because, uh, as I've said already, if this podcast has given me anything, um, it's given me this wonderful uh, group of friends uh, who are all brought together by common silliness and a common love of movies. So it's awesome. And that does mean a lot. All right. So um, we saved the best for last. Uh, and also the the person probably people least expected me to get on the podcast um, because she doesn't do many podcast episodes. In fact, I think she's only done a couple of uh, Motown Media infomercial podcast episodes. And that is the fantastic actress Sharon Scalzo, who has been in uh, every single one of uh, Matt and Charlie's movies since Freaky Folly uh, in some way or other and has become um, a very welcome and permanent fixture in their little group of actors. So it's a real thrill and a real pleasure to talk to her today. And so I hope you enjoy this conversation with uh, the fantastic actress uh, Sharon Scalzo. So the latest Matt Farley Motown Media movie is out. Heard she got married. As has become expected at this point, uh, you are in the film. Uh, we wouldn't want a, a project to go by without you being in it. So what is it like? Let's let's go back. What is it like to have found this niche as an actress uh, in these films over the last few years? Well, I always look forward to the, the email from Farley saying, Sharon. We're in another movie. We have a part. Can you come on this day? And uh, usually it's just, yep, I'll be there. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, sometimes I read the script before. Sometimes I don't. So sometimes I like to kind of be surprised. Um, I have, geez, I've been involved with them since 2006 now. So it's been a lot of years. And um I, I really look forward to the days working with them um, bef before when I was a little bit younger, a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more novice to this. Um, it was always like, oh, is this going to fit in my schedule? Um, you know, I don't have time for this. I, I don't have time. And now it's it's something that I actually really look forward to and make sure to carve time out for whenever they need me. 
And have you heard then of this whole plan that they have, uh, Charlie and Farley, to do two movies a year for the next five years? You've heard about I this have. whole thing. <laughs> Okay. So, and I presume great. you're in all of them. I, I hope so. I hope I'm in all of them, and I'm actually hoping to get my daughter yeah. involved too, because I think it would be really cool to have a, her be in it. Um, one of them, yeah. uh, the Christmas special a couple of years ago, I was pregnant for her, so um, it would be cool to kind of have fans see that that now she's also going to follow in her mama's footsteps. That's true. That was that was awesome. That was the first time you and I acted on screen together it was uh, i'd been in a couple of other things but that was the first time we we, we worked together and that was fantastic that was such a great exp- and a weird experience <laughs> but a great experience just all of us crowded in that garage there trying to uh put on a show um and i think i played something like eight parts or something <laughs> in, that, in that thing so that's always fun to put on wigs and hats and uh try and disguise yourself a little bit um so you started, as you said, about back in about 06 doing Freaky Farley, um, but you've known sort of the, the Matt Farley and his family for, for a longer period of time, right? You and uh, your brother and Matt have been friends for many years, right? Yes, I met Farley back when my brother Tom was at um, Providence College. Um, mm-hmm. I specifically remember meeting them one day. We were doing, I think it was the college tour. Uh, some sort of gathering where we were all there. It was before graduation because I met them again at graduation. Um, but I, I do remember him. Um, and I, I remember meeting him way back. It's been, you know, so many years. I don't even remember what year that was, to be perfectly honest with you. Tom could help you out with that. But um, yeah. so we've known him for a very long time. Didn't really get back in touch with him. Me personally, my brother obviously was until right around 2006. Okay, so there was there was um, there's sort of no uh, curious memories of early Farley before he became who we know now, or do you think he's just been that guy forever? I'm just trying to get some insight if there is any. I'm pretty sure he's been that guy forever. Um, I remember some stories of my brother from school from school. Uh, you know, I know they, they were always doing music late nights and they were always hanging out and I don't know if they'd gotten quite into the whole writing thing yet, but they were certainly doing music. So I remember stories about that and I know how involved he is now in his music. So I'm sure that's carried him through a lot of the years, but, uh, I think that, I think the movie thing was sort of after college that they decided that they were going to do that. And, uh, from, from what I know, I, he's, he's always been Farley. <laughs> Yeah. And and so, uh, as as you said, you kind of started in Freaky Farley um, and Monsters, Marriage and Murder in Manch Vegas. That I, and I always think of those as sort of back to back because they were the kind of the first two that I I came across. What, what were your memories of filming uh, those films and kind of finding your feet uh, as a performer on screen? So the my first memories of Freaky Farley were it was unbelievably cold um it was october we were filming maybe late september and then october went into october but um we were at a park up 
which coincidentally ended up being where, where I used to live. I ended up buying a house sort of near this park, but I remember crouching in the trees and, you know, being in the woods and filming for hours on hours on hours and um, just being really, really cold. And I'm like this, you know, this doesn't seem like (laughs) that, that people can project on screen that they're not freezing when they are. And I think there's a few scenes in there where if you look hard enough, you're like, she's, incredibly cold right now. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I, another specific memory from Freaky Farley specifically was uh, the, the camera that they were using. And it was my first experience ever being on camera like that. I'm not super, I, 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 I'm never, never been one to, you know, be super outgoing and things like that on camera. I don't take a lot of pictures of myself. Um, Charlie telling me, you know, every mess up and he was kidding at the time, but there was an underlying um, truth to this, that every mess up, they cost me $50, you know, when they had to redo the film because the the way that they were filming it and you can maybe speak more to what camera they were using. I have no idea, but they couldn't go back and edit these things. So we had to do these takes and then we had to make them right the first time. Um, and so over the years that has certainly evolved and we don't use the, the clapper anymore and we don't have to be mic'd up and hide the microphones. So things have certainly gotten easier, but that, you know, those are, those are my fondest memories of all those, those filming, both of both, both of those first two movies were, were like that actually. Yeah. They were both on 16 millimeter film. And I think that was the thing when I first got the DVDs, cause they found my, my show and Charlie wrote to me and I first got the DVDs through from them. It was, it was, first of all, it was the, sort of just how professional the DVDs looked. They had covers, the, the DVDs were printed, everything kind of looked official, which back in the day when I was getting DVDRs from independent filmmakers saying, can you please cover my film? You know, a lot of the time it would literally just be like those old uh, DVDRs with some Sharpie scrawled on it. And I'd look at it and be like, I don't know what, <laughs> what this is. This was very clear what this was. And, you know, it being Charlie and Farley, they sent me a whole packet with postcards and a, and a handwritten letter and everything like it was a whole thing and I was like oh wow this is impressive and then to watch it and realize that here were these guys doing 16 millimeter like no one was doing that anymore everyone had kind of moved to doing uh, video or mini dv uh, uh, or even um you know uh the dvlr or whatever they're called the the cameras um and everyone was kind of doing that and the fact that these guys were saying no we want the experience of making something on 16 mil like they used to back in the day before VHS or whatever uh, was really admirable. And it was another kind of reason why I hopped on the train very, very early. Cause I was like, wow, these guys are really serious about doing this in a way that I hadn't seen with, with uh, other people. And then, yeah, like you say, they, they've moved on to uh, shooting everything digitally now. But what I really like is that Charlie still makes the effort to um either colorize it or edit it in a way that makes it look filmic and makes it look um, uh, a bigger scale than, than, than it is. Um, and yeah, so jumping forward to Heard She Got Married then, um, that was filmed uh, earlier this year during the pandemic. Uh, what was sort of the experience of, of doing that? And was there any, was there any hesitation or, or were, you, were you on board no matter what? 
No, zero hesitation. I was I was definitely on board. Um, I actually I read this one prior, and um, you know, this being sort of a different vibe of movie than what they've done, it was um, it was it was kind of cool to be involved in this too because now it's you have you're going to have all these different variety types of films that they're doing. So I'm not sure my character changed very much the way that I portray the characters that I've been playing. Um, They always sort of joke with me that they give me the lines and I just kind of say them and then I move on and (laughs) it just, I I don't push back. I, I do what I'm told and uh, they say it's pretty easy to work with me, but um, hoping that my character in this film and my bubbliness uh, didn't, (laughs) didn't change the vibe of the film. It being a little bit on the darker side. (laughs) No, I think it actually adds to, we were talking, I talked to Charlie and Farley last night and the um, one of the things that they mentioned that it actually really adds to the crushing defeat. When you ask him to remove the poster outside of the cafe or bar, whatever. And, uh, and then you're like, and here's the check, like the way you did it, because you did it. So sort of matter of fact, it adds to the crushing defeat of Farley's character that no matter what he's trying to do, he's kind of told to buzz off, you know, all the time by everyone he comes across, uh, even if it's in a very nice way. So no, it actually really adds that. And, and I think it's, What's what I was going to ask was sort of do you ever consciously sort of because it's difficult in a movie like this, especially with the with the short amount of time that they often give you and so on. You know, even the the couple of times I've tried to to do something with them, uh, I always come with like, oh, I'm going to do this accent, I'm going to have this hair, I'm going to do this thing, whatever. And then they're like, that's great, John, but just sit down, say <laughs> the words because we've got to get on. Um, and uh, and I wonder, do you ever like? come to the set with some stuff in your head about like, oh, actually, I'm going to try this this time. Or is it really the writing that kind of dictates then how your persona comes across, depending on the, the film's tone? And So it, I think the, the writing dictates it. I don't come in with any plan whatsoever. Um, my biggest goal for all of these movies has been to get my lines so we have to do as little takes as possible. So, and I have a pretty good memory. So it's it's been easy for me to sort of, they read a paragraph and and I can just kind of spit it back. Um, so it, that being said, I'm trying so hard to remember my lines that I don't think there's any more space for me to offer anything else than just <laughs> filming me on camera. So I think um, my personality probably shines through in a lot of them, which is why I hope I don't ever get a more complex character because, because I'm not sure I could handle that. Um, but I always do. Again, I always try to, I, I really, I really enjoyed, especially all the way through. I enjoy seeing the end product because I love being part of knowing that they've filmed the same conversation from a couple angles and seeing how the end end works with that. Um, Cause again, I just try to just try to deliver my lines and uh, hope for the best. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Cause I mean, I, I, I'm addicted to like listening to either podcasts or watching videos of sort of actors and directors talk about uh, the craft. And I don't know why, cause I often think that the, the way people talk about the craft is kind of overblown and pretentious. <laughs> Um, because a lot of the time what they're trying to get to, uh, it seems is just be natural. Like, how can you just be natural? Like, how can you get out of your own way and just be natural on camera? And, um, 
you seem to intrinsically have that. Like you, <clears throat> you intrinsically seem to be able to just do that on camera, be natural and be yourself. But like you say, the tone of the movie and the writing, the way that plays into it, I never think of your characters in the films as the same person. I mean, obviously I know it's, I know it's you, yeah. <laughs> I've met you and I, 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 and I know your personality a little bit, but um, in the films, the different characters you've played throughout uh, uh, come across as different. I, I don't feel that, you know, Scarlet and Freaky Farley is the same person as sort of Abby and local legends. But then um, what's interesting about it is that they have the same, those two characters, especially I think of them as having the same kind of, drive to um bother matt's character <laughs> positively or negatively but in local legends it comes across as as a certain type of person whereas in in freaky farley it kind of comes across as a different way um so whatever you're doing keep doing it because it's fantastic each time out the gate and your naturalism seems to be uh um effective for the different characters because yeah i never think of i never think of your characters as always being the same, oh, here's Sharon doing her. Typecast, yeah. Well, that's good to yeah, know. <laughs> no, definitely. And I think I think the same goes for a lot of the other actors in the films who, you know, they won't mind me saying are sort of untrained actors, but are, are sort of giving their best as they, as they can. Um, so... From any of the films, then, do you have uh, do you have any particular memories that you think stand out? Like, if someone was sort of asking you in general about your acting career, or some friend stopped you at work and said, "Like, what's the best experience you've had on on set, or whatever?" Is there anything that um, uh, comes across, or any story that you haven't shared yet that you kind of want to share? I'm trying to think. I mean, in general, I love. I loved being able to go so many places and film with them because we've been all over the state uh, and and even New Hampshire and um, different places. And, and that's, that's been really cool. Um, in terms of stories that I haven't shared, um, I, everyone knows the, the story with Train Boy and everyone knows the story with my four o'clock deadline in the beginnings of the, the films. Um, and I don't know that I've heard Train Boy before. I'm trying to think if I've heard the Train Boy story. Train Boy is um, it was part of the deadline of the four o'clock. So I had gone on and back in 2006 for for Freaky Farley. I had gone on my first date with my now husband, um, who we had met on the the um, Boston Tea. And so he was a mystery until we had been meeting each other for months on the tee and waving. And then um, we found out later I called him train boy and he called me. Tea girl. Oh, <laughs> and um, so the next, our first date was the night before. And the next day um, I was supposed to film all day and I was out really, really late the night before. And um I was supposed to go out with him again after filming and it, you know, I was filming all day. We were up at really early in the morning and come, come around four o'clock. I was like, I need to go. Like, I'm ready to go. I'm done with this. This is, this has been a really long day. And um, it became this running joke that after four o'clock, I, you know, I'm, I'm done. I, I'm not going to give any more and I need to be <laughs> wrapping up at that point. So and that's fair. And and what does your husband think of the films? Is he like your number one fan or is he just like, go do the movies? I don't really understand. <laughs> the latter. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, he's seen, he's gone to a few of the movie pr premieres when we had, um, I think we had one or two of them in the um, theaters, various theaters, and he's gone to see yeah. those. Um, if I put a link in front of him, he wouldn't 
probably watch them. He's um, he's more of a uh, he, he, he's less of an independent film and horror fan and more of a big blockbuster um, superhero movie fan. So not not quite up his alley. Whereas I, I am a huge horror movie fan. I, I can't get enough. The horror is is my is that's like all I want to watch, whether it be the worst horror movie made or it the best. And um, I love all of it. So I I'm always reaching out for things like that. And is is that something you and Tom did like as kids growing up? Like because I know obviously Tom did the shock marathons thing with Charlie and Farley watching a, a lot of those VHS classics. Or did you come to that by yourself? Um, by myself. I, I, I don't have any real memories watching it with Tom. Um, and I honestly don't think I really got involved until I started being in these. Um, it wasn't something growing up that I, that I was super, super into. And, and I'm sort of less into the, the older films and more into, um, I, I really like the, the classic, you know, kids in the woods, in you know slasher and that and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I love all those. I eat those up. Definitely. No, I'm I'm trying to at the moment collect uh, sort of an ultimate collection of slasher films. I have such a I have such a fondness for slasher films because they are, you know, they're the uh, they're the ones that are considered negative even amongst horror fans. Like even amongst horror fans, there are people like, well, you know, I watch. Horror, but I don't watch slasher films. I'm like, I watch all slasher films all the time. <laughs> like, the sillier and goofier, the better. So, um, obviously, you've done a lot of work with Charlie and Farley. Has there ever been um, an urge to branch out and maybe find other, like, pockets of independent filmmakers who are doing this kind of thing that maybe you could act with them? Or have you always just liked kind of being in these films and having your own niche there? I, I am going to be Charlie and Farley to the end. I, I, <laughs> I'm not going to venture out and, uh, and try, um, probably more having to do with my confidence of, in uh, talent, but, um, it's, it's something that is fun for me to do on the side. It's not something that I'm going to pursue outside of them. And have you ever had an experience? I think you were on Farley's show and you were talking about um, telling a few people at work about the films or something like that. But have you ever had any occasion where anyone, outside of, I guess, the extravaganzas, but anyone coming up and sort of saying like, oh my goodness, you're in this film or anything like that, even locally where they might know it more? I don't know. I, I haven't. Um, the only the only people that have reached out through social media and things like that have been in some sort of network with Charlie and Farley or I've seen the films. Um, and, yeah. you know, I have I have some people on my on my Facebook and my Instagram's account, accounts that have messaged me to say, hey, can I friend you? I saw you in this. And, you know, I don't really know them. But, yeah, the, I mean, that's always kind of cool. And, and I do, I, I will plug things that are, um, there was a while, there was, uh, I think it was either Freaky Farley or, or um, Monsters and Marriage. It, it was uh, on demand. So I was sending people out to those to watch them on demand. I'll send people to the Amazon links and things like that. So I, uh, I definitely keep plugging it, but I've yet to be recognized on the street. <laughs> <laughs> one day we hope, uh, one day we hope, cause Matt's, Matt's, uh, Community and range and, and uh, fandom seems to be growing and growing all the time. I think that, um, you know, the I know that the whole sort of TikTok and poop song stuff and things that he's been doing has really taken off. Um, 
Interestingly, amongst, uh, not in, I mean, uh, uh, obviously maybe, but uh, amongst a much younger demographic. And it, it, it's going to be interesting to see if that demographic, like, have the same reaction to the films, because I feel like the films come from a slightly different place. But it would also be super cool if, like, a bunch of 15-year-olds were watching these movies and kind of getting something out of it. Um, so as your daughter grows up, will you be showing her the films? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. She's gonna be uh, she's gonna be into all this, and and it's funny you mentioned that too because she was really she's really into the whole poop culture right now. She's three, and um, one day, and I didn't even remember this. One day, she was asking for uh, a song about poop. I searched on Spotify, and "Poop in My Fingernails" what? came up, and <laughs> I was like that's Farley and it's one of her favorite songs we listen to it at least a few times a week she loves it <laughs> so. yeah, it's it's really taken off uh <laughs> you know he he's had people on twitter um ask him for the strict because he's done these name poop songs now and people are saying you know oh can you do a name poop song for <laughs> you know a name you've never heard of and couldn't spell if someone said it out loud you know <laughs> Um, and he's done them, like he's done thousands of them. So, um, and and I'm the same. I, I get people more so on Twitter than any other of the social medias. But I get people following me on on Twitter who are kind of from Farley's fan base <laughs> and sort of wanting. I mean, not wanting to talk about the films, but just sort of being like, "Oh, Farley's been on After Movie Diner a few times. We'll follow that guy." And then they're always they're always oddballs, but <laughs> but I appreciate it. <laughs> Do you have a favorite out of any of the films that you've been in? either a favorite because of your performance or character or a favorite just to watch over and over again? Looking looking back, I will always have a sweet spot for Freaky Farley. It was it was the first one and I, you know, I just I, I remember the scene so clearly. I remember filming so clearly in all the different places and you know, it was the first time meeting Farley's parents and um it was it was freaky because it was October and the, the weather was fall and you know all the scenes and looking back when you watch the movie it I think I, I'm most proud of that one um yeah. I think sometimes even a little bit I overthink I've overthought some of the um the way I appear since then and during that one it was just so uh, whatever um and, and then I think it actually came out the best uh personally which is funny because you'd think you'd get better but <laughs> um I think and I think I peaked and and then I'm just trying to to get back to that performance there uh well not not, not at all you're 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 great in all of them and I, I genuinely mean that we love watching we love watching the films and we love watching you in them and uh I actually thought that uh I always thought local legends was sort of the most interesting character that you had been written for because it's just such a it's such a unique take on that kind of um that person you might come across or that that sort of love interest I guess in in that movie in a weird way but also an anti-love interest I'd never really sort of seen a character like that in a film before so it was one of those things where I'm like and yet I think it resonates uh in a way I'm like oh yeah I've definitely been <laughs> there on occasions <laughs> in my life but um I always think of that as a very interesting character in its own way but yeah Freaky Farley was the one like if if I'd put Freaky Farley in in the first 10 minutes I hadn't been like I hadn't, I, I watched that movie and, and within the first 10 minutes, I kind of thought, oh no, it's, it's, 
you know, I'm not into this or, you know, this is amateur or this is whatever, uh, you know, I wouldn't have gone any further. I wouldn't have put in Monster's Marriage. I probably wouldn't have interviewed them. And then, you know, years later, I wouldn't have been in Local Legends and Slingshot Cops. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And it's the enduring... <laughs> That's the enduring movie because it, it kind of started the ball rolling, as I said. Ag- agreed, stuff. yeah. And and I think I I sometimes mix up the memories of filming between uh, Monsters and then uh, River Bees, too, because I, I don't know if they were within a couple years of each other, but it was um, a lot of the outdoor scenes were um, kind of in similar settings. So I kind of mixed those up in remembering um, the skinny dipping scene was River Beast. And, um, that was always, uh, something that was one of the reasons I, I, I still use my maiden name to be, uh, to be an actress. Cause I was terrified, <laughs> you know, a prospective employer would see a, a image of a skinny dipping scene and not yeah. want to hire me. But that, that one was like, that was a fun scene. I do remember filming that and thinking my brother's going to see this. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of a prospective employer <laughs> sitting down and watching the whole movie or at least because that's not it's not like in the first 10 minutes. So they'd have to watch you know, the first 40 minutes or whatever uh, uh, in order to get to that scene and then go, we were going to hire her. But based on this scene, I'm just going to put no, that that's fantastic in some of the films. Uh, and I've got to remember which one is it? Is it Monsters of Marriage or is it River Beast where you are um, McGee's daughter? Is that Riverbeast? I've, I've got to think. Yeah, no, it is. It's Riverbeast. You're Ali. St- yeah, yeah, you're Ali Stone, and he's Frank Stone. Okay. Um, and so, and and McGee remains the sort of elusive figure because he's sort of on the screen, and he's, you know, he's this reoccurring thing in their their films, and he's fantastic, and everyone loves him. He's a he's a fan favorite, but you know, apart from I think the odd podcast he's done with Farley, I think he's been on twice. Uh, he's obviously not on social media and, you know, the the fans don't really get to talk to him unless he shows up at the extravaganza, uh, which was a, a, a pleasure um, to uh, speak to him at the extravaganza. But what was working with McGee like? Because I'm fascinated to know. And how much time did you get with him? Because were they shot separately or, or did you actually get to to work together? The, the first one, when, when I was his daughter, we were at his house. So we filmed for many, many hours at his house and in, in and around his pool in his backyard and in his porch. Um, and that was over a period of a couple of days, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, it was just absolutely delightful to work with. He was so much fun, um, you know, telling stories in between. And we, we just had so much fun. I, I remember eating pizza in his backyard and just opening his house to us. And, you know, this was still pretty new because this was, I think the, the second or third one was, was um was when I was was at his house and I filmed with him other places as well I remember um geez and I'm mixing up the movies now too when he was the statue in the town square and we were at um that yeah that's that's at the end of River Beast that's when he's uh he's been he's been killed but memorialized in a in a statue and I think you're at a you're in like a college lecture hall or something it looks yeah like. yeah and I'll ne- I didn't I wasn't expecting it I'll never forget he walked in the room just covered in in paint and, and I was like now that is dedication to the part but yeah he's he's been great to work with and obviously I haven't talked to him outside of of working with him but I th- there was a great deal of hours we spent together getting these scenes done and he's he's really easy to work with too because um 
he's he's sort of similar to me like he just delivers his lines and we move on and if there's not a lot of um you know pushback and and well I think we should do it this way me and him are both kind of uh we just kind of do what they tell us to do and, and hope for the best yeah no the two the only two times I've ever worked with him was or, or met him was um one at the extravaganza where he kind of showed up and hung out in that little vestibule before he came in to do his song um and uh and and I was just buzzing around and like taking <laughs> pictures with him and talking at him and stuff and I'm sure he was like all right kid get out of the way <laughs> um and then at the Christmas special where we were all in the garage and by that point because as I said Farley had kind of expanded his uh um you know group of actors or 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 crew people um there was a ton of us like me and Seth and others who he knew from online um and knew his films but uh, maybe McGee didn't know us or whatever. And I remember McGee showing up to do his like policeman scene or whatever in the Christmas special and everyone being like, oh, it's McGee, it's McGee, it's McGee, like whispering <laughs> and stuff. It was like this. He's the elusive like celebrity this. of the bunch. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the only thing I don't know, because, I mean, I, you weren't in the scenes that I was in, um, in Metal Detector Maniac. What can you tell us about your, your role in that just before we wrap up? Oh, right. I'm trying to think back to that one. Now, that one was... We filmed that. Was it, and was it 2019? I think we filmed that. Oh my god! I definitely. I think I definitely filmed my bits before we closed down for the pandemic. Unless I filmed it early 2020. That was. I believe that was the one. I had a number of scenes with my brother, and we were never actually in the same room which was really interesting the way they did that one. Um, it, a lot of that was, if I remember correctly, a lot of that was done in Farley's garage and in his backyard. Um, that one, that one is, it, it, and honestly, it probably has the, the least impact of, of jogging my memory. Uh, well, we haven't seen it yet. I think that that's probably the trouble is that it hasn't been released yet. <laughs> yeah, so. that's probably part of it. And admittedly, I, I my characters run together in some of these, um, and especially the later, latter ones. I have um, less less um, screen time and less lines in those. And metal detectors, I wasn't super super involved in that one. Um, so I I don't. I don't honestly. I have to wait to see it, and then I'll and then I'll be able to comment back on what was going yeah. through my head. <laughs> I I think I'm in the next one. I think I'm in the next one that they're doing. Hopefully, our paths will cross again on screen, which would be <laughs> awesome. Uh, thank you ever so much for being on um, the After Movie Diner uh, today. It's been a pleasure to talk uh, Farley and acting and all that stuff with you, uh, Sharon. So thank you for agreeing to do this. And, uh, I was joking with Farley last night on text message that when we get to our 15th anniversary of the after movie diner, it'll be after this five year run of two movies a year. So we'll have to do another big, uh, <laughs> retrospective of all those. Let's see how many movies they actually do in the next five years. And, uh, if it's all of them, if it's all 10 of them, We'll have a lot to talk about when that. Oh, I'm bound to be in them if they can do them. <laughs> yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Me too. Thanks again no for being on the show, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All the best. Sharon. All right, you Thank too. You. Thank you. Bye.
ups and the downs Trying to make smiles from the frowns While talking about movies We've averaged about 34 episodes a year And still the journey isn't completed We may be downtrodden But we'll never be defeated And we've talked a lot of different movies Guest hosts Co-hosts and celebrities galore Drama and action and tits and gore Hardly anyone ever asking for more Yet we still did more episodes regardless From the sketches, the songs and the sheds From Woods and Weller to Sleazy Spade of Springtime From Donald Pleasance's brilliance and Eric Idle's cinematic crimes Most of you listeners clinging on Despite the movies, remember that time with Michael Ironside, Clint Howard, Joe Bob Briggs, and Barbara Crampton, Steve Gutenberg, Scott Atkins, Fred Hammer Williamson, and Keith Coogan. Just a few luminaries who told us about their movies. New films and old films and forgotten gems. Reconnecting with the established while making new friends. And probably most of you out there just praying this would end. Yet we're still doing more episodes regardless And if I'm permitted Before we go bust There's just one thing to say But really I must Try for one moment to put down all your sex toys Control your fevered lust And for goodness sake watch Nick Cage and Elijah Wood in the trust really is so very good we even interviewed the directors yes we interviewed the directors that's just how good it was so no one knows what the future holds one more year or perhaps another decade do we burn out or do Quietly fade And how will we feel About all these movies But if our paths Have crossed now Before or in the future Because of something Related to the After movie diner Then really out of All the people in existence There's no one Minor But the one who can Put up with My opinions on movies Like Jim So thank you From the bottom Of my heart This ain't the end But the future Is uncertain future always is, you can't let that be a burden, but please know wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, it's all about the movies, I'll never fall fully out of love with the movies, I want you all to live long and prosper, and watch a lot of movies, yeah, live long and prosper, you Bastards and watch a shit ton. Oh.